And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, the Halloween edition, the hyperdimensional Halloween edition of The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, This should be very interesting, very, very interesting. As I was kind of putting some of the show together this afternoon, I, I happened upon something. I was looking for something else because NASA had done something really cool in the way of a little short video, which was a cartoon, an animated cartoon from the space station where, uh, you know, they had a Halloween theme and an astronaut who looked very much like uh, Buzz Lightyear. Uh, there's a new trailer out, by the way, on the, on the Lightyear project from Disney, which looks really interesting. Anyway, so they had this Buzz Lightyear type guy, astronaut floating in the space station. It's, remember, it's all animated. And the little girl asked him, you know, oh, are you ever scared? And of course, you know, Buzz Lightyear, you know, personification. No, we're never, you know, and then this big ghoulish thing comes up on the uh, windows of the cupola behind him. And anyway, I wanted to play that. And I went looking for it this afternoon because I'd seen it on NASA TV last night after we got off the air. I went and tried to find updates on the SpaceX launch of the crew number three to the space station. And this came up and I thought, oh, that'd be really cool to play. And it was completely missing. It's nowhere on the NASA website. I mean, they've got something there from 2014. They've got, you know, really cool animated thing from 2012 but nothing from 2021. So anyway, in the process of doing that definition of serendipity, I found something even more intriguing and frankly, directly relevant to tonight's theme, which is a hyper-dimensional Halloween. So before we get to all that, for those of you who are new to the program, if you're listening to us, you're obviously on the website, theothersideofmidnight.com. Or you're listening to one of the terrestrial affiliates that we've got. We've got a couple. Uh, George Nori has 600, yet we're right behind him in the uh, TalkStream Live uh, poll or uh, uh, statistics or uh, uh, ratings or whatever you want to call it, which is not bad. I mean, we're all over the world, 190 plus countries, so apparently we are more than holding our own. Anyway, for those of you who are new, What you want to do is go to tonight's banner, which says very dramatically, because John uh, uh, Womack actually created the banner, um, a hyperdimensional Halloween with all our guests and this very nice uh, uh, double tetrahedral figure and the rotating windows to other dimensions. And you want to click on that. That will take you to the guest page. And right under the guest page, you will see uh, fast links to items. Click on my name. That takes you to item number one. Again, we're featuring at the top of the news, La Palma, the increasingly weird and kind of, um, shall we say, uh, uh, cautionary volcano, which has been erupting now on the island of La Palma for at least the last five weeks. Um, there have been some new developments. If you click on that link, it will take you 
to those new developments, and I will, in fact, read to you what it says. Just as we reported the quakes have been less intense recently, a strong magnitude 4.6 tremor, one of the strongest since the start of the crisis, hit the island at 34 kilometers depth 20 minutes ago at 5.52 p.m. This is, of course, La Palma time, which is way ahead of us, probably, uh, you know, six hours, seven hours ahead of mountain. I haven't looked lately. The quake, they continue, was widely felt all over the island. This is for uh, today. Dense fog, volcanic fog, is filling the Adrian Valley uh, due to an inversion layer in the atmosphere, trapping the erupted ash and gas flume. People are advised to use masks to protect themselves from the fine particles and bad air quality. Um, And then, earlier... Uh, this afternoon, they said the latest information from the government reads that the seismic activity is on the decrease while magma output remains very elevated. Emissions of sulfur dioxide have been decreasing for the fifth day in a row, although they also remain very elevated. On the contrary, emissions of volcanic CO2, that's carbon dioxide, have increased. And this is what's interesting. All this suggests no near end of the eruption. The increase of CO2 could be an early warning sign that more magma has arrived at depth as this gas is one of the first to escape. And anywhere you can read more, lightning is more frequent. Scientists at Involcan documented several volcanic lightning seen in the eruption column. Over the past days, these have become more frequent. This goes along with the observed increase in explosive behavior at the vents. More material is being fragmented into ash as opposed to lava fountains, and the resulting particles are finer as well. Anyway, you can read that all for yourself. The reason, again, that we're calling attention to La Palma is because there is a small chance that the worst possible catastrophe in modern history could occur, and half of the island could slide into the Atlantic, resulting in a mega tsunami, which would spread out like a huge set of ripples across the North Atlantic Basin and into the South Atlantic Basin, and all of the exposed coastlines could experience such enormous inland flooding, in some cases 30 or 40 miles, if not more, that it is estimated that if that were to happen, the worst-case scenario which is not zero. The probability is low, but it's not zero, which is why you want to plug this app into your phone and have it on speed dial so that when you get a seismic alert, your phone rings. You need to have a go bag packed and you need to get out of Dodge if you're anywhere along the coastlines and up to 100 million people are in these regions. So pay close attention. I have been dogging my brother uh, who lives along the coast, and uh, he's watching very carefully. He's got the, the bags packed, and he's got this thing on his phone, and they're watching. Um, item number two. Um, I, I ran into this a, a day or so ago, and I thought it was so interesting, because one of the things we're going to talk about tonight, given the, uh, the, the, the theme of Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, um, All Saints Day followed by All Souls Day in the Catholic Church. Um, This is supposed to be the time when the veil 
the demarcation, the boundary, the barrier, the dimension between dimensions is thinnest of any time during the year. And I'll get back to that in a moment. Um, that being the case, um, one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is reincarnation. And Scott is back with us, Scott uh, de la Tambra, and he has brought some recordings. So we're going to hear actual hypnotic regressions of several people. Uh, and I will let Scott do a more appropriate introduction at the uh, appropriate time. But that could be really interesting. Anyway, this article, which appeared in the UK in U magazine, um, the title of which is, I was dragged by an invisible force. What happens after death? And there is a very modern, up-to-date kind of uh, review of the uh, state of the art of the current research into um, out-of-body experiences, past lives, reincarnation, people who believe that they you know, clinically die, but they go somewhere else and then they don't die. They, they come back and they remember things that they uh, should not be able to remember from when they were, you know, not here. Where were they? Well, that's the subject of the article. And it's actually quite interestingly done. And I recommend it. Now, item number three, this is the serendipity that occurred while I was uh, looking for the NASA link that I could not find. This was just released the last couple of days by the agency. It's a Hubble image of a red giant star located about 400 light years away called C.W. Leonis. And what's really interesting is that uh, when you look at this photograph, and you can, of course, click on uh, the various representations uh, and get much bigger versions of the image. Uh, there's uh, download options. There's a full res version. So you can kind of, you know, play around with the site. But what's interesting is to look at the details of the dust cloud that is shining around this red giant star. Now, red giant stars, in terms of contemporary astrophysics, are the fate of a star, uh, the mass of the sun, and maybe a couple of solar masses uh, larger. And what happens is they don't explode as exploding stars as supernovae, but they expand enormously to where um, the sun someday will expand out to where its uh, outer envelope will extend beyond the orbit of Mars, which is 140-some million miles away from the center of the sun. And when that happens, there will be an awful lot of carbon ejected because of the uh, nuclear reactions going on in the center of the star, which are churned up by convection and then released in the extended stellar atmosphere as these dust clouds. Well, if you look at this image, this Hubble image, there are several remarkable features. For one thing, it looks like a tunnel. It looks like a vortex. For another, there are these beams of light, which are not caused by diffraction uh, in the mirror or optical system of Hubble. These are actually present in the nebula and they come and go, get this, with a periodicity of about 15 days. Now for something that's random, you know, a extended star is ejecting shells of 
gas and dust, you would not expect regularity. So that's an interesting indicator of something going on. The other thing is if you look carefully at that image, that gorgeous image, which uh, um, the agency likens to a spider web, and for me, it looks like a tunnel. In fact, it looks a lot like the kind of tunnel that some of these uh, uh, near-death experiencers describe when they uh, regain consciousness and are kind of debriefed by the doctors and nurses on staff who have now kind of come to taking this very seriously, even if they haven't a clue as to uh, the origin of these very parallel stories, which, by the way, are parallel regardless of the culture in which the patients are living in. In other words, Hottentots and, you know, Swedes and Russians and, uh, uh, you know, Arabs all reporting very similar near-death phenomenon, which says something about the universality of the uh, uh, of whatever's going on and the fact that it isn't culturally driven. It's not based in whatever culture you grew up in. Anyway, so to me, that looks like one of those tunnels described by some of these stories. But the most intriguing thing to me, notice as you go down toward the heart of the vortex, toward the center of the set of rayed points of light, which are not in the telescope, they're really in the nebula. There are straight edges to the nebula. It is, in other words, geometric. In fact, it looks somewhat like the hexagonal geometry around the north pole of Saturn, which we've discussed at great length on this show. And in some papers I published some years ago having to do with hyperdimensional physics going on inside Saturn. Well, what's interesting is that the dust, the carbon dust, which is a very hyperdimensionally reactive material element, you know, look at diamond, look at uh, carbon chains themselves, look at buckyballs, look at, look at fullerenes. So the dust over a scale of, you know, light years is forming these straight edges of a standing wave ringing geometry of some kind of field in space interacting with the dust, the carbon dust, kind of like dye in a stream, like red dye in a, in a clear stream where you can see where the currents are flowing because the dye shows you how the currents are moving. Think of this dust as kind of dye in the torsion field, the invisible field surrounding all stars. Like the Egyptians said, stars are doorways. Doorways to what? Well, doorways to other dimensions. And in fact, uh, well, that's going to probably be part of our extended discussion this evening. Um, just look at that image and think of it as a hyperdimensional doorway to some place else. The reason, and this is kind of like the summation of where we are at the moment, the reason I think October 31 is the thinnest veil between dimensions when things that go bump in the night can go bump in our nights is because of all the times of the annual Earth's orbit of the sun. This is the one night 
when we are at 45 degrees between the huge black hole in the center of the galaxy and the sun alignment and earth moving toward that winter solstice alignment and remember going and coming in the physics are not symmetrical i believe the physics of the solar system the hyperdimensional physics basically laid out in the carbon dust of a star that's dying 400 light years away is happening also in this solar system except there's no dust to track what's going on it's people's experience and the fact that cultures all over the world believe that this time of year which was known to the Celts as Samhain in fact is when that veil that dimensional boundary is most transparent and communications and messages and something can come through that's the setup for our conversation of the rest of the morning so let me introduce my guests and in no particular order we have some new people tonight we have some familiar people and so as i kind of scan down the list uh natalie jones is with us she is the co-founder and president and ceo of paraflix inc paraflix paranormal a streaming network platform for original and licensed series documentaries film and production creators of the paranormal supernatural cryptid ufo extraterrestrial universe and beyond thriller horror and similar genres and you can read the rest of her bio there but uh, uh she is with us uh right behind her in line aaron dragonsong is a modern mystic a psychic a channeler a prophet an author and teacher and a pioneer in the field of evolutionary spirituality the elevation of the earth through each individual spiritual awakening within the framework of nature's spirituality and the sacredness of being embodied and again you can read on the other side of midnight website her full bio which goes on for many paragraphs she's done a lot of interesting all our guests have have um now back for i forget what show this is but uh, maria wheatley is back maria as you may remember from previous appearances is a second generation dowser who was taught by european master dowsers her late father and chinese geomancy she is a leading authority on geodetic earth energies ley lines and stone circles and is an accomplished author of books on sacred sites and dowsing and in 2015 she made a major discovery which we will talk about later in the show uh scott uh, de tamba is with us scott de tamba is a clinical hypnotherapist in southern california he specializes in past life regression and life between lives spiritual regression and for the past 20 years he has dedicated himself to guiding thousands i mean literally thousands of clients to a deeper understanding of their eternal soul and their current life's mission and last but not least in this uh, first hour segment Jonathan Wolbeck is back with us Jonathan began leaving his body in the fall of 1965 
at the age of six. A year later, after watching an episode of The New Adventures of Superman, Jonathan assumed a ghostly version of the Man of Steel for his astral excursions, a practice that continues to this day. Jonathan receives alarm signals from people on the physical plane as well as the spiritual realms and has learned how to move heavy objects, travel into the past, and visit the home of souls. He's also a producer, and he... uh, associate produced tonight's program because without Jonathan we would not have been introduced to at least two actually three of our new guests so without further ado let me welcome everyone to the other side of midnight hi guys hi Richard okay hi Richard hi there Jonathan you're still very much down in the down in the mud I can barely hear you Ah, it's the torsion field again well it's, it's Halloween Maria, I want to go to you first because I think that you're probably best situated, both from your background, uh, your your study of of the sacred sites, these extraordinary monuments spread all over uh, Europe, <clears throat> as well as your own predilections. Talk about Halloween. Talk about Stalin, and why we all all over the world seem to think that this time, this night. Actually, it's it's a window. It's a couple of days. Is a unique time in terms of dimensionality and the connections between worlds. Yes, uh, it's a very interesting time. And to our ancient Celtic ancestors, it was the Celtic New Year, uh, and we're on New Year's Eve at this moment in time. And it's a time when it's not the past and it's not the present. So to to the ancient Celts, it was an in-between world, a twilight zone, a, a time when supernatural beings could come through as well. Because in tradition, you couldn't harvest anything after this day because if you did then a being like a hobgoblin a a puka a nighttime shapeshifter would torment you so it's a time when you can go to sacred sites because like you mentioned earlier the veil is very thin and you can communicate to the ancestors as well and if you imagine places like Stonehenge and other places in Ireland they have alignments to uh, the sacred day uh, to a sunrise or to a, a sunset, for example, and that makes it even more of a portal. It makes that kind of the the land itself very powerful. So the the ancient sites as well are in resonance, and when we're in resonance with the day, it's like a, a match. Also in Celtic mythology, it was a time when kings would uh, often die on this day, or they would give themselves to, to the day. So that's also uh, wrapped up in the, the supernatural being of, of a king, of a kingship of, uh, of, uh, of the Celtic landscape. And even the Battle of Britain, uh, a modern day event as it were, uh, the air fight started on uh, the 10th of July, I think, and ended on the 31st of October. So it's a, it's a date when we can really connect with the past and with the present. So, for, for example, one of the alignments that I discovered at the world's largest stone circle at Avebury Henge, which I know you're very familiar with, Richard, and I've done uh, measurements on torsion fields there, 
I discovered that two of the massive standing stones at the entrance stones to Averyhenge, their shadow lines co-join, for example, and create this massive black uh, shadow line. And as you pass that shadow line, you'd go into the, into the light, into the light of the stone circles. So I think when we look at ancient sites, we need to look at the shadow lines on these days. We need to look at where the light falls on these days and uh, explore, explore the site of what we want for the Celtic New Year. So in my tradition, I'm a, I'm a Druid, as you know. I've been trained in Druidry of this landscape. It's about what do we want for the year ahead? And focusing on that on this eve, because the eve was very important to, to the Celts. Uh, the day started in the evening, actually, so we're, we're at the beginning of the day. And in Celtic uh, mythology and today's modern aspect of it is what do we want to manifest in the year ahead? Because when the veil is very thin, you can lead your way into the new year. So this is a time of concretization because in, 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 in astrology, which of course we now know, I know, is hyperdimensional. You know, it's how the field is modulated by things in three dimensions. Planets moving around, rotating, spinning. Um, this, the, the squares, the 90 degree angles are really important. They tend to make things real in three dimensions. But this is a 45 degree angle. This is halfway between a 90 and an alignment. And so it's, it's listed as a semi, uh, um, I forget what the term would be, um, semi aspect, I guess. But in some sense, it said that particularly 45 degree angle uh, is, is really about internal connections. And I was intrigued by what that might mean. Yes, I mean, it's uh, astrologically, it's timed when, you know, the sun is at 15 degrees of uh, Scorpio. And which, it's about uh, Samhain, about letting go of the past as well, letting go of, you know, failures, fears, and anything like that. Letting that go and walking into the new year with, with what you want to do. And this is why our ancient ancestors created certain sites that align to, uh, to Samhain sunrise or sunset. Uh, in Ireland, for example, on uh, a hill called the, the Hill of Ward, all of the uh, sacred fires of Samhain, because in tradition you're, you would light a massive fire and uh, the, you would prepare for a feast on this eve as well and drive cattle, your cattle in times past uh, through that fire. But on the Hill of Ward, it was in, in Irish mythology, all of the fires of Ireland would be kindled from that sacred flame on that hill. And it's not that far from the Hill of Tara as well, where you have a massive uh, Khan, uh, a Neolithic 5,500-year-old mound, called the Mound of Hostages and the chamber would be illuminated by the sunrise on this day. So a very uh, important priest, a high priestess or a high priest would be in that Khan and they would receive the light of the sun on that day and pass it on to, to others as well. So all of these sites, they kind of come alive. And if they're on lays or earth energies, that energy 
energy of the sun illuminates the uh, lay, sends energy, solar energy into the lay, and that passes it on to other sites that are on that line as well. So you'd have like a mother site on the Samhain alignment, and that would pass the energy on to site after site after site. Hmm. Okay, we're at the bottom of the hour. My guests this morning are too numerous to mention, so uh, you can go to the website and we'll be calling them in, in turn by their first names and getting to know some of the newcomers. And this is our hyperdimensional Halloween, and we're going to be covering, uh, mixing our metaphors madly, the waterfront. You're on the other side of midnight. It is the night of October 31st. It is the time when the veil is thinnest and the dimensions are open. And frankly, anything can happen. We shall return. weeks ago that says am I being selfish and I said absolutely but I'm not doing this for me I'm doing this for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children I see the loss of rights and freedoms I've lived long enough to know what's happened here and I cannot stand back and simply comply I'm going to resist those measures with everything that I have uh, emotionally psychologically physically legally I cannot allow our rights and freedoms to be taken from us. We have to stand up for them. And this is where I say that we have to become adults. We have to stand up for our rights and freedoms. We can't ask for them. We have to demand that they be honored and respected. To me, the masking is part of the strategy of totalitarian tiptoe. We just keep encroaching on you, and it's just a little bit worse than it was yesterday. And most people don't see it, but we see it. And that's why this program and the work that you guys are doing is so important. Hi, this is Ted Prince from Vaccine Choice Canada. I just want to reach out and express my gratitude to other side of the news for all that you guys are doing to empower humanity and bring us to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, the time that we shared together was a real pleasure, rich conversation, and I know that all of you are uh, higher conscious beings who are uh, part of the solution. 
I just want to express my gratitude to Cynthia, Timothy, and Aneta, and your program, The Other Side of the News. You guys are great. everyone to the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, October 31st. Happy hyperdimensional Halloween. So let's return to our guest, Maria. Thank I, I have one more question and I want to move on. Have you been able to do any physical measurements of any of the sacred sites during this Halloween window, which covers like, you know, 36 hours, 24 hours, whatever? Um, and have you found anything unusual? Because I would love to bring the Akatron to measure Stonehenge like Robin and I did many years ago and uh, got some very amazing readings, but it was at no particular time of the year. I'd have to actually go back and look and see when we were there. But I'm just wondering whether there is something we could detect in the field that is different about this night, this window, than any other time. Yes, uh, the, the, I've done a, a few tests, you know, all of the uh, cross-quarter days and the, the quarter days. An interesting one was uh, close to the sanctuary, which is a part of the Avebury complex. It's a small stone, it was a small stone, concentric stone circle on the top of Overton Hill. Today it's just marked by concrete markers because it was destroyed in 1724 by farmers. So we imagine a concentric stone circle of quite blue sarsen stones. Within the center of that, we were measuring uh, at Sowin the uh, background ionizing radiation which suddenly flared up uh, inside uh, quite inexplicably mm. and a, lo a local druid uh, who's recently passed uh, god love him uh, our arch druid of avebury terry dobney when he was leading uh, a ceremony because we still have neo-modern uh, day druids still have ceremonies at these ancient sites. I was at Avebury today and there was a ceremony. Uh, he was at the center of the, the sanctuary with uh, 13 others. It's tradition uh, uh, to do it with 13 other people. And he, he was a large guy. He was like a bear guy. And he levitated at the center of the, the oh, circle. He what? He levitated off the ground. Lifted off the ground? Yes. Did anybody get Did anybody get video? Nobody oh, got the video. Fortunately, I know, I know when is your mobile phone? Oh, when you need it. <laughs> yes. in the pocket when you need it. 
uh, and Terry li lifted off the ground and uh, he's a very down to earth person he said that happened to him so we know that radiation changes also at Silbury Hill uh, we recorded the electrostatic field suddenly surged up on, on the summit of Silbury Hill at uh, midday on Samhain as well so, so the whole background uh, seems to change and also uh, as a druid we believe that our own psychic powers expand at this day for divination and, and other things alike as well. So, uh, so yes, some interesting things have, have occurred uh, in, in this area. Earth lights or balls of light, plasma balls of light are often seen around Stonehenge, Avebury, Castle Rig, and many other sacred sites as well have been uh, well, you, recorded. You, you, you got to say, Maria, that... <clears throat> levitation in front of witnesses mm. and nobody had a camera and nobody had a camera that's absurd uh, in this day I and know. age that's absurd okay i know uh it wasn't night as well it'd have been a bad recording i would imagine even if you did have a, a top of the range iphone but yes well not if you power. had an infrared filter remember you can yeah, take thermal infrared now at night and they're crystal clear anyway Nobody sure. had a camera. That's really disappointing. Okay. Um, obviously, at some point in the future, I have got to go and measure this stuff with the Accutron because, again, it's these correlative physics measurements together with the theory, which says that this uh, cross quarter of all of them should be most significant because you're coming around the bend to the alignment with the 4 million solar mass rotating 11 times per second black hole at the center of the galaxy and that's the biggest hyperdimensional thing except for the sun going on in our neighborhood if you can think of your neighborhood something like 26,000 light years away okay Aaron I, I, I want to come to you next because obviously you're a Wiccan obviously you're immersed in this how did you wind up on the other side of midnight tonight <laughs> that's a really good question uh I think Jonathan's the one who could answer that more clearly than well, I Well, it was actually a broader question. How did you get involved in Wicca? And that obviously led you where you are tonight. But in other okay. words, this is, this is not kind of a mainstream religion. This is not for everybody. What got you intrigued? You know, it's one of those turning point, you know, alarm clock moments of life. Oh, where goody, goody. I love those. I woke up one morning when I was 23 and my sister-in-law slash best friend slash housemate didn't wake up. Oh. And she she died and nobody could ever find out why. And, you know, I had really been stuck in a very mental state of mind at that time, very 3D consciousness. And when that happened, it's just like, well, I woke up and I thought, there's what is life about if you can just all of a sudden you're just not here? at such a young age, too, with her whole life ahead of her. So it just um, started this process of exploring spirituality in a really serious way. I mean, I'd always had experiences as a child, and I grew up in a very you know, uh, ghost-ridden house. But um, You mean literally? Ghosts were very much a big part of our family story and experience, magic, miracles, um, le things levitating, poltergeists. There was, I could tell you some stories. 
there are some really crazy stories. So it was always sort of a natural thing in my family, even though we didn't, uh, we had no idea how to work with our, our psychic skills or our magical skills or anything of that nature. But we did have that opening and so you were like 21st century, 20th century strangers in a strange land. You're in a landscape, but you don't really understand why it's going on, but it's going on around you. Very much like that. And I wanted to know. You know, I, I learned at a very young age that we are not being told what's going on in the world. We're told, you know, like when, when you step out of time or you shift consciousness or you experience these things that people are saying are not real and cannot happen. You, you start to go, okay, well, what they're telling me is real is obviously not real. So what is real? What is the potential of humanity? What's going on? What's really going on? And that's what took me into this exploration. And Wicca in particular, I was just drawn to, in fact, I started out sort of more on the shamanic path, the native spirituality path, until I got my wrist slapped for being a you know very very white girl um culturally appropriating <laughs> so and I, I that was a new term to me and I thought oh okay they said you know I was told why don't you look up your own tradition and I mentioned this to my brother like what's my own tradition what is that Christianity like please save me mm-hmm. and my brother's like well as a matter of fact you do have a, a sort of a nature tradition, and it's called Wicca. And that was the launching. That's ah, the launching pen. Interesting, interesting. Okay, let thing, me, let me I, I'm, I'm going to come back to you because I want to kind of introduce everybody who's new so that the audience can kind of relate to what you're going to say in a little while. Natalie, you're up next. A, how did you get into the paranormal? And then how the heck did you wind up running a paranormal streaming company online all over the world well thank you so much for having me i you know i'm very much into energy and consciousness and awareness and i uh personally have uh you know started this journey since i have a you know a conscious uh, memory and for me you know i have really come to a point where I'm starting to connect more and more dots because everything really is interconnected and it is um, everything is energy I am a Reiki master I am an uh, an author I've written a book called awaken the higher self bringing darkness to light and I know that everyone has an experience or a memory when they they are a, a child that though they may not have a conscious awareness at the time, it is a direct indication of their life purpose, soul mission. Everyone can think back to that aha moment. And for me, I had a very profound experience when I was a child, the moment that I could, uh, you know, that I could re- uh, recollect. And it's not that we, uh, we become a certain way. Yes, our experiences shape our perceptions and our reality profile, but really it's the other way around. You have a specific uh, monumental experience because of who you are or per se uh, a direct indication of your life purpose and soul mission. And I have, you know, we are in, have the perception of linear time here in the third dimension and 
So over the course of my of my years, you know, growing up, I really pushed that experience out because, you know, we were so conditioned and programmed uh, as a society to really, you know, think and, and be a certain way. And once I got to a point where I really started to open up um, and reconnect with spirit is when everything just started uh you know, full force, speed ahead, like, here we go. And it's almost as if everything has just fallen in line so quickly. I know that we, you know, we are here to learn. We are here to become beings of unconditional love. So I do a lot of practice with um, helping others through uh, through healing uh, naturally, through, you know, uh, light energy with, with my Reiki practice and as a dark energy healing facilitator, similar to a shaman, you know, working with um, what I would refer to as burden regression therapy, implementing kinesiology and identifying these different sources around us, basically bypassing the human consciousness in order to connect um, and communicate directly with spirit because, you know, everything is interdimensional transdimensional um our our inner self is merely just a portion of our higher self package and it's it's a a very highly intelligent refined matter being and so when we're able to elevate our heart center and reconnect and open up our second sight our third eye our pineal gland to these gateways to these dimensions that are right here now what is what was what will be you know there's limitless possibilities and that's exactly how Paraflix came about, <laughs> mm. if that makes sense. Well, you're, so. you're obviously trying to democratize the phenomenon. You're trying to open it up to, quote, more and more people who may be closed off or, you know, kind of think of it as silly or be unaware or, you know, just basically ignorant. There's tremendous amounts of stuff flowing around the Internet, and no one can keep track of even a tiny fraction of what's going on. Absolutely. And uh, Paraflix is dedicated to the paranormal, the universe and beyond. And there's nothing else out on the market like it. It is an SVOD, just like Discovery Plus, Amazon Prime and Shutter, those sorts of things. So you can download the app and stream directly on your TV. And all of this content is exclusive. And you're correct. It, it really goes into really great um, areas and genres in detail to bring all of this information forth, it's real. And we're so lucky to have Jonathan Womack, the OBE show, uh, Mind World Entertainment on Paraflix <laughs> as well. Which is, John, the check is know, in the mail. <clears throat> yes, yes. And, and so it's, it's really phenomenal. It's almost as if it's, it's, you know, divine. It's meant to be on a, a very universal scale and it's just grown wings of its own. It's beautiful to, to watch, you know, all of the amazing buzz, uh, really see that light bulb go off for a lot of people. And, and yes, you're right. You know, this is, it's meant to be a universal platform to help uh, elicit awakening on a global scale, ascension and reconnect with spirit and start to pay attention to things outside of our daily routine and interactions and be, be more aware and in that walking meditation and, and find that, that spiritual place again so that we can identify these different energies that are around us, whether it just be a residual energy or maybe 
uh, an intelligent energy or an interdimensional, transdimensional. You know, there's so much that we don't know. It's just like a speck of sand. So, you know, lastly, I just I I am very eager to to know to learn because I I know that all of this knowledge that we have is meant to be used as wisdom for the for the greater good for the greater consciousness the universal one and when we um, you know categorize that yes there's there's knowledge that we know then there's knowledge that we know there's more to it you know per se like the rabbit hole and then there's <laughs> off grid knowledge that we don't even know that we don't yeah even see know. I prefer the vortex as opposed to the rabbit hole. <laughs> Yeah, the vortex. That's like, perfect. like, like that incredible Hubble image of that star. I mean, it's so, it's so graphic of what we're talking about. And I don't think it's accidental that people report tunnels, because I've been dabbling with the idea that, uh, you know, and even the mainstream astronomers have now said they've discovered that we're in some kind of bizarre Milky Way, uh, about 350, 400 light year, which is just about the distance to Leonis there, uh, magnetic tunnel. And that gets into some things I'm going to, you know, save for when Georgia joins us to talk about. Because I've been conducting my own kind of, you know, half-hearted experiments to try to limb out the dimensions of this connection between dimensions. And we have some new data, which I'm going to talk about tonight. Halloween, so appropriate. Um, okay, let, let us, let's keep up, pick up on Scott. Scott, you've been on the show one time, but we have new people all the time. So give us a kind of a thumbnail of how did you wind up being a major professional in taking human beings back to a before time to when they lived before? Hi, Richard and everybody. I just want to say I love what I'm hearing. I think maybe I found my tribe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, yeah, so I don't know how major of a professional I am, but well, you've been at it twenty plus years. You've got thousands of recordings, and and tonight we're going to hear two or three of them, which I think is amazing. I'm so so glad you were able to do that. Um, how did you wind up? Well, what was your what was your childhood, and how did you fall into you know reality? Our childhood was great, just like a great American, hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet, you know. Oh, California, California, beach bums, yes, of course. Yeah, California childhood. Um, It was great, wonderful. Uh, uh, Nothing to do with any of this paranormal stuff. Um, Pretty just white bread, you know, wonder bread and, like I say, hot dogs and all that. But, um, yeah, I was just always interested in... No magical stuff. You know, what's, uh, what's behind the veil? What, what are people not talking about? What's, what, what is the, the mysteries? I am a Scorpio, in case anybody knows uh, what that means. And so, you know, the mysteries of life and death and rebirth and those kinds of things um, it just always appealed to me. And so... Past lives and the past, I was always drawn to the past. Um, You know, as probably many little boys, I was into dinosaurs and fossils and stuff like that. We used to go hunting fossils. There's a hill close to where I lived that used to be underwater, I think, about a million years ago. And so we'd find fossils of fish and coral and stuff like that. Just really fun. So 
was always just really past-oriented. And so past lives was a natural extension of that. And so uh, I think I spoke to you a little a few weeks back about, you know, I had some personal experiences and... Um, so at a certain age, I just decided, you know, I'd really like to pursue this. I'd like to, um, you know, explore my own past lives and other people's past lives and that kind of thing. And so, you know, hypnosis is one way to do it. There are many ways. Um, uh, as uh, Natalie might have found doing Reiki, sometimes doing massage or Reiki, past life stuff comes up or other spiritual memory stuff comes up there are, so there are many ways to access this just meditation but hypnosis hypnotherapy is a very cool way and so i just uh, start taking trainings and um start to learn how to do it and then i took uh past life trainings and life between lives trainings and um, i started practicing uh my first hypnosis teacher told me you need to go get an office I have no clue you have to have okay. a shingle on the door <clears throat> exactly so so I did and I floundered but you know I hopefully helped a few people and just over the years hopefully learned something here and there and so yeah it's been a it's been a real wild ride and I, I still really enjoy it quite a bit well, thank you, and uh, we're, I'm going to uh, call on Jonathan now because a lot of people have come and gone, and you know we have turnover. My, I have a radio friend who used to describe radio audiences as frogs in a wheelbarrow. You're rolling the wheelbarrow down a, an old dirt lane, and frogs are jumping out, and others are jumping in, and that was a very intriguing, you know, image for me. Anyway, so we have a lot of new frogs listening. So, John, what got you into this? Well, you mentioned it when you read my bio there. I was six years old, and um, I had watched an episode of Lost in Space that featured uh, this 50-foot cyclops. Danger, and, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, my God. <laughs> scared the crap out of me. And I go to bed, and I hear this thumping sound in, in my head. And I imagine this 50-foot beast is coming down my street he's coming to my house and he's coming up the drive and now he's shrunk down to fit inside my house he's coming down the hall toward my bedroom and I'm growing more terrified with each passing moment now he's in my room and my only hope for survival was to play not play dead I had to be dead I had to convince this thing like a bear that I was dead and you can just go on and look for your next meal somewhere else. So that's what I did. And after a bit, um, this thing left and I got up and heaved a sigh of relief. And when I turned around, I saw, Oh my gosh, there's somebody lying in my bed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was me. So that's how it started for me. And, just kind of never so it literally back. scared you bodiless. It scared me to death. <laughs> well, but you were not dead. You were just kind of, you know, you, you, you vacated your local premises for a while. 
Yeah, I put my body on pause, my, my body brain. When you come to Earth, you choose your body brain. That's your carrier, uh, your shell, and you select a type of brain. If you want to be a particular you know, Rembrandt or this kind of things, you, you will actually, with the help of your guide, you select the brain body and what it's going to be like when it, as it carries your soul. So, um, yeah, I've just been uh, exploring for the last 56 years and had some crazy experiences, and I, I still have <laughs> crazy experiences. And uh, but I, I'm like Scott; I really enjoy it. And um, yeah. Okay, let me let me throw this out to everybody, and there may be different takes. So, you know, we have we have hours and hours, which is good. Um, and uh, I'll ask the same question when Georgia, you know, uh, joins us. If the if if this particular time of of the of the hour of the year, this window, this hyperdimensional conduit, allows better communication between higher dimensions and the three dimensional plane why is the halloween experience depicted as this scary goblins you know monsters thing that's taken this over at least in the united states commercially and even the the nasa video was about you know being are you scared not you know are you looking for new discoveries on this night it was have you ever been scared? That kind of thing. So where where did the dark side of Halloween come from? And uh, I don't know who's best equipped to answer. So just kind of take your turns. Who wants well, to be first? I'd like to jump in there, Richard. I I think it's is simple. is it Aaron? Yeah, sorry, uh, it's Aaron. Uh, I think it's as simple as just fear of the unknown. You know, people are creeped out by visits from people they love who've crossed over to the other side. But, you know, as soon as you take away the body, people don't know how to relate to that. And we're, it really messes up our nice, tidy, cozy, three-dimensional material experience of life. Suddenly we're kicked into a, a state of awareness that doesn't fit the narrative that we've been told and trained to. So people don't know how to deal with that. And they, they feel, I think, too, a sense of, I find this with magic as well, people feel this sense of powerlessness in, you know, the spirits. What can they do? They can walk through walls. They can, they can show up even though they're dead. We can't do that in the same way as mortal physical beings. And I think we ascribe a whole lot of um, power to them even though that's absolutely not the case. We have far more power being embodied than any spirit has on this plane. Mm, all kinds of interesting questions. Who else? Well, Richard, I always saw this night as it's a, an opportunity for us to tap into the Akashic field, which is easier because okay, we're... This is John. Yeah. If you could, for yeah. the first few minutes here, kind of identify yourselves because... Remember, the only way they know you on radio is how you sound. So, Yeah, we're on into a break. Oh, that's right. Uh, see, if I don't have someone minding the store, the store can crash. You're on the other side of midnight. My guests this morning to Numerous Dimension include uh, Wiccans and uh, archaeologists, 
paranormal experts, reincarnative uh, practitioners, and uh, just little old lonely me scientists. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. on this Sunday night on the Halloween Hop. No, on the hyperdimensional Halloween edition of The Other Side of Midnight. You all remember this. This is the Monster Mash. Again, it goes back to what I asked just before the break. Why is this night? Why is this thinning? Why is this communications vortex? Why is it associated with fear and scary stuff and boo? Okay, John, I'm sorry we had to interrupt there, but uh, the clock is all. I'm, I'm presuming, Keith, that uh, Georgia is joining us or has joined or is in the process of joining. So, John, please uh, pick up where you were. Oh, well, I, after a while, ghosts become pretty boring when, when you're visiting the astral planes on a regular basis. Um, well, how do you define a ghost? I mean, to me, a ghost is you're sitting in your living room, you're quietly reading, uh, you know, Frankenstein, and suddenly the shimmering ghostly specter appears between you and the fireplace, and you can't quite see it beyond, but the features are indistinct, and there may be a wavering, woo, 
That to me is the classical ghost. How does that become boring? You mean they don't talk? They don't communicate? They don't say anything uh, kind of important? No, I I mean, I'm referring more to the Halloween version or like the Hollywood scary version with, uh, you know, scary ghosts and hauntings and... um, yeah, these these ghosts—they're all over the planet, of course. Um, they they'll linger, and some of them don't want to go through the tunnel. And my part of my job, um, I got good at seeing the tunnel. You know, people talk about, oh, I saw the tunnel. I went. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, and <laughs> so this appears over your left shoulder. And and a lot of people forget how to see in the spirit world after they've been in three dimensions for a while, and. So my job would be to go there. I'd be get the signal. I, I go. I follow the signal. There's a ghost in somebody's house. They're causing trouble, and I would simply, in a very calm and, you know, the ghost is really upset. Kind of, I, it's time for you to go. And then I point to over their shoulder, and I can find this tunnel. I, I'm. You know, I have the knack for finding this tunnel pretty easily where the ghost won't, they don't see it. It's right there. And then they go, oh, and they see it. And once they see it, then they're like, okay. And off they go and the ghost is gone. Hmm. Okay. Uh, again, Aaron said that this, this, this fear, this scary aspect is, is, kind of automatic and I'm wondering if if we're all extensions of a hyperdimensional you know consciousness why would embodiment in three dimensions cause us to forget all of that including you know something that you know sounds more like something out of the limbic system uh, you know definitely primal definitely non-rational definitely not connected why would be why would we revert to something so mundane when the reality is so much more extraordinary. In other words, I'm, I'm still not understanding the scary spin around this particular time. Is it cultural, Maria? Did it come from ancestors that had lost their, had lost their way and all they could do is, is kind of simulate the connections and not really uh, grok it, as the, as the term might be used? Maria? Unmute Maria. Maria. I see her there, but I don't she's she's muted, yeah. Okay, uh Natalie. Yes. Same question. So I have really just been taking all of this in. It's very exciting. Back to what uh a little bit of what Aaron was saying, you know, I, I do completely agree and even more than that, you know, Could it be that we've created this egregore, per se, almost as if, you know, some uh, large amount of population has put so much thought and energy and emotion into one thing that it's grown and grown and grown into, you know, what we we refer to as Sawain and what is that? Why is the veil the thinnest or that we believe it is or have experienced that so and then going back to what Jonathan was saying it's very interesting because in the work that 
that I do as a paranormal navigator and as a dark energy facilitator, Reiki master, we have these experiences that sometimes in, in life are very traumatic. It can cause spirit fragmentation and, of course, those lower vibrational emotions and thoughts. Sometimes we may uh, pass over from something traumatic or if we pass over and we find ourselves to be stuck, sometimes there's spirits, ghosts, uh, if you want to call that. Uh, you know, we like to put terms on things, but like alike, uh, they may not even realize that they have passed over. But what it is is that it's these lower attachments, these third-dimensional lower attachments that keep them earthbound in the spiritual plane. And Jonathan's 100% correct. They just need uh, assistance, the knowledge to utilize their free will in order to continue their, their eternal progression process and tapping on what you were saying Richard you know it's very interesting that you know we have we're here is it it seems maybe mundane we have different types of veils and one of the veils is that uh, not recollecting everything that we know on an omniscient level and the reason for that is for spiritual growth because if we knew everything then there wouldn't be a challenge, I guess, if you would call it faith, to uh, to exercise that spiritual muscle and learn and and grow. And I find all of that to be very interesting. Hmm. Can I speak to that? Uh, yeah, uh, by all means. This is Scott. Yeah. Um, because she just mentioned something I wanted to talk about. Because uh, Rich. Richard, you, you asked uh, basically why do we forget who we are as souls when we come into these bodies? Uh, why do we forget about our spiritual existence? Because we choose to, because we want to, because it's a game that we're playing with ourselves. And different people at different times choose the percentage of forgetfulness as well, because as you know, there are some people who are very immersed in their mundane lives, and there are others who are very open and remember uh, past lives and see spirits and all of that. So this is all a kind of a pre-life calculation like Jonathan was talking about, something we sit down with our guides and our mentors, and we, we look at our souls and we say, what do we need to, uh, like Aaron was saying, what do we need to, you know, grow? What do we need to expand? What do we need to develop? And so we'll choose a lifetime in certain conditions that will give us the challenges to help us uh, to, to grow and to expand. Hmm. And if I could just jump on that, this is Aaron again. If I could just jump on to what, what you were saying, there's, I think there's more and more of us that have come over to, the world now who are a lot more open, are a lot more conscious, a lot more spirit connection than there has been as the earth and the solar system are upgrading to the new, you know, what I call the spiritual golden age. I didn't. Well, this, this, this gets directly into the idea that this, the physics that I'm looking at is in cycles and we're mm -hmm. at the end and the apex of this 26,000 year processional cycle when the physics is really at the max and when all kinds of amazing things are going to happen and are happening 
and it's yeah. a time of choice and choosing. And you know, if 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 you want an e-ticket, as my friend Roddenberry used to say, this would be the time and place to be because this is where it's happening, at least here in this system. Exactly. I, I always say this is a time that's going to be talked about for the next 10,000 years, <laughs> no matter what happens, no matter which way it goes. Uh, exactly. And there's no guarantees where it's going. Hey, let me bring uh, Maria back, who found her unmute button. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Same question returning to you. Why do we well, have this apprehension that the other is negative, dark, scary, boo? Mm, you know, yeah. why, where does that come from? And is it because of our insularity, the fact that we have been cordoned off, that communication between dimensions is deliberately very, 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 very hard? And I'll get into some details of the work I've been doing on this uh, later in the show. But it seems to me that if it's part of us, it should be, oh, familiar, not, ooh. I think a contribution to the dark interpretation of uh, Samhain is because it was Christianized to All Hallows on the 1st of November by Pope Gregory IV in 8, uh, 834 AD. Prior to that, the, the Celts, the, the Druids here, uh, the, uh, the people of the land, it was a time of sexual freedom, of fertility, of uh, mixing from one tribe to the next. And it was a time of, of love and sensuality as well. And I think that got repressed and, uh, with, with Christianity. And also what Christianity did to some of the ancient sites, like Avrihenge and sites near me, like a dolman they made them the devil's den the devil's chair mm. and, and and so there was this fear pushed on to this beautiful natural religion uh in this in this land because as as a druid uh, myself uh and, and modern day uh, witches they don't fear the gods they work with the energies of nature the cosmic powers and forces of the rhythm of time uh, and that again got repressed by christianity no, you need to be in fear of God. You need to be God-fearing. Whereas uh, as a pagan would say, I am working with Gaia. I am part of it. There is no separation. Hmm. Uh, my heart is, is Gaia's heart, and we can come together and work at ancient sites, which, which is what modern-day Druids do today. So I think a lot of it was uh, the darker side put onto a very beautiful, ancient, old religious way. See, now that's something I resonate with because my own, you know, very meager research so far in this area, um, and again, we'll get to details shortly, is that we're in prison. Somebody put us here, you know, like the phantom zone. I've used the Superman metaphor, and we found this stunning set of structures on Mars, which are the mirror opposites of each other, showing you can actually calculate a date when this happened, when we were cut off from something we should never have been cut off from and communication through that barrier is now very, very difficult. And the wardens, and we'll go back to the church, you know, put a political spin that turned everything that should have been positive into the deepest, darkest, blackest, negative that you can imagine. Again, the ghouls, the ghosts, the, the things that go bump in the night. Uh, Georgia, welcome to the party. We're just having a good old Halloween party here. Um, have you been able to hear any of the previous conversations? 
Yes, hello to everyone and happy Samhain. Um, happy Samhain. Well, let me start at the beginning, beginning. What does Samhain, and is it pronounced Samhain like a, like a female pig in, or is it Samhain, like Saha, the Egyptian version of uh, Osiris? Um, how do you pronounce Samhain? Oh, I think Maria is the best to answer that one. Uh, thank you. Uh, it is uh, sow as in cow and in. Oh. Sow in. Oh, oh, that's how the, the Celts, the, Ga- the Gaelic people uh, traditionally pronounced it. And, of course, it's spelled totally different. Anyway. <laughs> yes. B- 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 blame uh, blame the, the Celts for that one, Richard. <laughs> so, Georgia, um, big picture. Yeah. What does this night, this, this window mean to you oh gosh well i have a a rather long story of magic i could share we have time after the break perhaps um but i'd like to uh join everyone else in the last question that you asked about the fear factor okay uh, at this particular time um in in I mean, even, even, sorry to interrupt, but even NASA was pushing the fear button. And I'm saying to myself, what? That's nutty. Well, remember, as we've talked about many times before on other shows, the two weapons that have been used since time out of mind to control people are guilt and fear. Fear is a negative attachment to the future. Guilt is a negative attachment to the past. And it robs the present of its strength, right? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the, the fear factor, remember that this time of year in Northern Europe was the beginning of a, of a really bad period of weather. And a lot of people passed over at that time, particular, particularly children. And the Celts believed that the, that the seat of the soul was in the head. And um, uh, for instance, when they were on the battlefield, they would take heads and tie them to their harnesses or install them in doorways. And in fact, this is where the term doornail, dead as a doornail comes from. Hmm. A doornail is not a a metal uh, attachment. Uh, The doornail was the head of your enemy nailed to your front door. Um, Oh, that sounds cheerful. Isn't that cheerful? Um, But, You know, um, a lot of children passed over at this particular time. And one of the old customs was, of course, they didn't have pumpkins because that's a new world thing. But they used turnips and they would often carve uh, uh, faces on the turnips to represent their children and put a little candle in there and put it on their doorstep so that the passing spirits. um, Oh, it was like a beacon. Like here you can find your way home. No, 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 no. No? They were, no. They, they, the turnip was the symbol of the child with the light inside to say to the wandering spirits, the light in this child is strong. You cannot take this child at this time. Oh, okay. So it was a shield up. Okay. Is that where it comes? We, we just didn't fall off the turnip truck? <laughs> that one I don't know. We know what's going on. <laughs> okay um so so you know i'm really liking maria's spin because i think there's been a conscious effort to 
accentuate the negative and decentuate the positive, as the old song goes, because all the associations that I'm finding with this window, and again, I don't think the the cross-quarter windows are all the same because of the geometry of how the orbits work and how the physics is supposed to work. I think this window is unique in that it's coming around the bend to that alignment with this enormous, you know, gateway uh, where things happen. And I know because they, they happen to me in that solstice window. So I'm just wondering again, did someone put their thumb on the scale, i.e. the church, to turn what could and should have been positive into as dark and dark as negative to keep everybody from getting any closer. Yeah. Yeah, Richard, there's just as many good souls. I mean, look at Kinthea. She was born on Halloween. There's just as many good souls. There's good archangels coming through. The, the doorway works for both good and evil people. Yeah, but the spin out there is it's negative, Halloween. It's trick, trick or treat, yeah. not treat. It's ghosties. Um, it's, yep. it's, you know, bats. It's uh, every negative association you can imagine is attached to this time of year. And yet the most interesting counterpoint is it's celebrated. Even NASA has a damn Halloween video. So it's like it's permeated the culture but the spin is wrong. Yeah, if you compare it to the Day of the Dead, which Georgia can probably give you more information about, that's more of a positive. It's, it's kind of a spooky holiday, Day of the Dead. But really, it's, it's a positive thing. They're blessing the food. and Right, Georgia? Right, right. They're, they're putting – remember the movie Like Water for Chocolate? Dimly. Remember that that movie where the the woman was putting her emotions into the food and whoever ate the food would oh, experience yes, yes, those okay. emotions. Well, when you make food for your departed loved ones with care and with love, there's a certain amount of etheric energy that goes into that substance. And those that um, are near to earth, but um, not in physical dense, can can actually partake of that etheric sustenance, and so there's there's you know a practicality to the, to that. Hmm. I think. Go ahead. I think. What was this? Another aspect. This is Aaron. Another aspect I think that ties into this in that, especially as this Western culture developed, we do not celebrate a cycles we do not celebrate the seasons we want an endless summer you know winter is something that we'd rather never see and there is that aspect of death that happens um the the sort of specter of death that looms like the t today is the beginning of the winter season right it's the beginning of the winter half of the calendar in the celtic calendar so you're going into that season of dark and scarcity and dying, not only for humans, but for the world around you. And that could be really scary for people, particularly as we get less connected with spirit as we have over the evolution of humanity in written history. Hmm. So without, with, without that death, right, then we couldn't have life. 
And that's where Wicca is really different from most of the Western or most of the world's religions, many of the world's religions, is that we honor that whole cycle without the death and the dying. We have no nutrients to feed the new life. We have no clear space where something new can be born. Hmm. And I think well said, well said. And we, we as, as terrestrial creatures, we feed on life, but we also feed on death. And that's the way of nature planet. That's what the wheel of life, the wheel of the year. So as we get into Samhain and we're celebrating the final harvest and we're going into winter, into that time of death, but also that time of rest and renewal, we've kind of forgotten the rest and renewal part as a culture. And we've just focused on the death and the fear part. And I think this is really important, if I can take this into a big picture scenario for just a moment. I think this is really important to remember right now, because as a planet, we are essentially in the Samhain of humanity, of the earth. We're in a time of systems, such system instability, that we are shifting into a new form. And that's really hard for people to deal with. Because in the same way, we're not seeing the new spring that's dawning. We're just seeing what's breaking down around us and having and grieving that as we need to, but also fearing it. I think that's a really important statement. It's, it's uh, one of my students gave the example of when you are losing a baby tooth, all you see is the loose and painful tooth. You don't see the new one coming in that's pushing it out of the way. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing on the world stage is the reaction of the crystallized form to something completely new that's precipitating. And that's, that's really what's coming in, uh, not what we see in form uh, on, on the, the, the world scene. Absolutely. Hmm. What I'd like to do now is to, uh, each of you has very interesting stories, and that's why we have a lot of time this evening. I want to get, kind of get very specific. I want, I want to start with Natalie. Um, talk about your personal experiences uh, that you would classify as paranormal, and just know that I hate that term because it's so <laughs> separating. It's so It's so political. It's... It's like it was coined by the CIA to keep us apart. <laughs> well. Oh, agreed. Yeah. And, you know, again, going back to what I said earlier, as a form of communication, of course, you know, we put terms on things, but I agree with you. Uh, it's almost as if sometimes we put so much focus on terming something. And I've really started to just use the, you know, the term unexplainable because that's a, a you know a more broader universal description but for me you know i have had quite uh, one specific experience that's See, i would have, i would have chosen a term more like ineffable because, okay. because it's neutral but it lifts it out of the, the mundane into a realm where it's 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 like a jewel you can turn it in the sun and it's got various facets yes. and it's it's magical as opposed to scary scary stuff well do you mind if i if i use that one absolutely then? Great. i really love you know, that poor poets plagiarize great poets steal <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good that's good so i was actually at a uh, a location that has a lot of what we would call um paranormal activity and 
I was doing an investigation, and I, this was back in December of 2019. And as a, a paranormal navigator, you know, for me, uh, my my best piece of equipment is you know my mind, the human body, spirit, connecting and and receiving communication that way as a medium. But I also you know, we do have equipment that we uh, that we use as well, and of course, there's always night vision, IR cameras, and uh, the classic digital recorder to pick up EVPs, which uh, stand for electronic voice phenomena. So, really uh, quickly, we um, we were there, and we had caught on on camera the apparition of a child walking across this room very clearly uh there we tried to test to see if there was some sort of light source that could have caused it it was analyzed the video and that was unexplainable but we also tried to find things that will uh, corroborate that as well and that specific room um there's a history and a story of, of a, a child who was um who had been murdered. Well, later on, we, we caught a class A EVP of a child saying it hurts. I can't move. It was very emotional, hmm. but that was a very profound experience. David, hold on right there. <clears throat> We're at the bottom of the hour. My guests this morning, too numerous to mention, go to the website and you will know their names when they speak in the coming hours. Everybody recognizes this one. This is Halloween night, a hyperdimensional Halloween on the other side of midnight. I'm losing my voice. It's got to be an influence, right? My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. I swear to speak no word that is not true. 
they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky, the Adams family. The house is a museum, when people come to see them, they really are a scream, the Adams family. One of the interesting things about tonight is I get to play all these old theme songs that I haven't heard for many, 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 many years. There's Lurch. A broomstick you can call on. We're going to pay a call on the Adams Family. Okay, back to my guest of the morning. Um, I believe, Natalie, you were talking about going on, on site and doing actual experimentation. One of the things I wanted to ask you tonight about those shows is, doesn't it kind of trivialize the phenomenology <clears throat> when all of these spooky shows and we know what they are, you know. Uh, they all come up every week with a new positive and a new, you know, set of effects and a new spooky video and a new sound. And in other words, it makes it seem so mundane. It's kind of like catching the, you know, the 1033 bus. Yes. And, you know, what you see sometimes on on these uh productions uh on tv sometimes (laughs) they well here's the real deal i you know i know a lot of these people in the field who are on these shows um outside of paraflix and a lot of times you know they're this is this is their passion this is something that they take very seriously and that's amazing and that's exactly why we why you know we do this to be able to really understand and, and learn more. There's so many times where there's a lot of things that don't fit the production outline or what producers who don't really know or or have any interest that side of of the unexplainable and so a, a lot is just really filtered through. That's what is so unique about Paraflix is this is the real deal. This is you know elevated production but the real raw. Um, presentation and what we were really trying to share and, and learn and what really happens behind the scenes sometimes can be very raw real and emotional and for me that night it was so much you know of course that that I became extremely emotional especially with uh, a child but you know sometimes there's again going back to these you know traumatic events what took them there is these lower vibrational energies that still keep them attached to the third dimension in the spiritual plane, whether it be confusion, um, being upset, be feeling lost, they, they just are the, are the same in, in that state of consciousness and being able to communicate and give them the knowledge and help them work through that and feel that, that unconditional love in order to, uh, to know where to go. And that's the biggest part of the passion in this. And so for that experience, just to know that that's what was happening. But what the EVP, the electronic voice phenomena said was, it hurts, I can't move. And unfortunately, not going into exactly what had happened to him in in his passing, the sweet boy, that was a a direct indication of what we knew of how he had passed uh, went completely in line with that and just seeing that, uh, that, that apparition that had walked by, what was even more uh, shocking was as that apparition had walked by, there was a, in that room, there was a blow up Spider-Man toy. So it was very light. And just as the apparition walked by, that toy fell right over. And so again, these things, uh, they, 
you experience them, you can feel it. It's electromagnetically charged. Everything, you know, is electromagnetic fields and energy and just trying to connect the dots and communicate like that. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have, have different opinions and everything, but that experience as a whole, going back to that, was, was pretty profound. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Aaron, um, I, have you had any Halloween-related experiences you want to talk about? <laughs> I've just been trying to figure out what, how to narrow them down into the really <laughs> <laughs> well, I would I, I would pick, uh, you know, a couple really biggies. You want one about uh, Halloween in particular? Well, given that we're on that night, it might, you know, we, we can okay. start there. Well, okay, I'll, I'll tell you this one, which is pretty much my first personal, really, really clear connection or experience with a ghost. I was at a, a Halloween party with a, my brother's friend, and this was you know, I was very young then, about 25 maybe, and his brother, the, the host's brother, had died shortly before. He's a very athletic fellow, and he was, had died cliff diving. So we're over at the party. Everybody's in the kitchen talking and drinking, and uh, my spouse at the time and I took a little quiet break in the living room. We went and sat down. There's nobody else around. And we sat down, and as soon as we sat down, the table lamp beside us started to flicker Mm. in this random pattern, on and off, off and on, on and off. And it was very odd. We looked around at the light switches. There was nobody around. We thought, okay, well, it must be just, maybe it's just, you know, the skin, the hair is standing up on the back of our neck. But we're saying, maybe it's just an electrical short or something. And then we go downstairs. Rob takes us to his brother's room downstairs, showing us his trophies. And so a group of us are down there. We're just looking at everything going on, looking at being talked to the trophies. And the cat, the house cat, starts following us down the stairs, gets halfway down the stairs, stops, puffs up into this huge furball with eyes like saucers, mm-hmm. and hisses ferociously at this empty spot in the room. And that's when we all decided, uh, maybe we've seen enough. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. time to go upstairs and rejoin the party. And that was, but that was the first time that I saw something and experienced something that I realized, yeah, this is this is in my personal experience, not mostly just stories that I've had from other people. Hmm. And that's you know, one of the things that we have frequently here, my spouse and I both, spirits that are crossing over, other people in our community who are dying, for some reason, they stop by here on their way out. And sometimes they have messages and sometimes they just want to hang out. And sometimes we have to point them the way as well, you know, give them a little, a little guidance, a little, in, you know, tell them, yeah, it's time to go. You need to clear out for now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very strange phenomenon. They come over, they visit, they stay sometimes for a while. They tend to like to throw things off of shelves. And, you know, we've had to be very firm with them. You know, don't mess, we say. If you're going to do something, you've got to tidy. It's, it's messy enough. <laughs> okay. That's not working really well, but at least they've stopped throwing things off the shelves. Oh, that sounds – I've never heard of messy ghosts. I've heard of poltergeist, but not messy <laughs> ghosts. So They're messy. Hmm. Scott, um, I believe you have something very interesting for us tonight because you were able to get permission to actually play some recordings of people 
who have you know discovered through hypnotic regression past lives but there's a kind of a particular subset of these people you want to talk a bit about that and then um if if you have them queued up there you can probably play them from there otherwise i have them duplicated here and we can play them from here sure i'd be <clears throat> sure i'd be happy to um so give us a, an appropriate when setup said, when you said a particular subset what did you mean exactly well in other words there are people that recall past lives you know they were marianne when i'm being facetious <clears throat> but uh, then there are people who recall past lives on other planets and uh, that and that's the subset that i was thinking about now i remember <laughs> right that's what you would you we we talked a few weeks ago and you were curious about that and so I can't imagine yeah. why I don't know. <laughs> it's a mystery. So, um, yeah, I get lots of clients who have lived lives in other worlds. It's a pretty common thing. Um, probably at least half of my clients have lived lives in other worlds because, as you know, Richard, it's quite a it's a big universe, right? There are, I don't know, a uh, conservative estimate. And, Richard, you can correct me. Uh, like 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone yes yes and then billions of galaxies mm-hmm. so it's big so uh, earth is a beautiful jewel and we love it but it's just a speck of dust and a you know a grain of sand on the beach of all the worlds that souls can come and to experience and to learn and play and grow and so yeah, lots of clients in their sessions, uh, they will sometimes, maybe we're looking for a particular issue or, or they have a challenge or something like that, and they will go to a life and another world. And so I gotten pretty used to it. And um, so you asked me to maybe come up with something. You know, I came up with a few really barn burners. I mean, some really amazing ones, but uh, a lot of people don't want this stuff played publicly for whatever reason, and I, I totally respect that. So I have two, and one is uh, a younger woman, and um, then one is from my own experience. Uh, I've had a lot of lives. Uh, I, obviously, as a past life therapist, we practice on each other a lot, and so I've got to look at a lot of my own previous lifetimes you mean just like every shrink has their own shrink past life regressionists have their own past life regressionists yes we as friends as colleagues we like to trade regressions sometimes and oh um, i'll see your four stories and i'll raise you (laughs) (laughs) that's right it's kind of like a drug it's kind of like heroin you know going to these other lives they're mainlining on their (laughs) other past lives Oh, now I've heard everything. Okay, so so you've got two outstanding barn burners. Give us the, the context. Do no, I don't have the barn burners. I have uh, oh, other than the barn, barn burners. But um, so uh, I cut – I mean, I severely edited. this. These sessions could last two hours, hour and a half. The Life Between Lives sessions could last four hours, even five hours. So I've cut these into tiny little bites. So you tell me, Richard, um, I have one where uh, it was my own 
past life. It was I was exploring. Uh, I was on another another world that I happened to be come to explore the earth quite a long time ago. And then I have another one of a young lady who, um, uh, I, frankly, I don't remember why she came in. But so wait, let me understand this. You're regressing yourself to a life where you were living on another planet uh, in this solar system or beyond. Question. Far, far beyond. Okay, so Not, another, uh, another stellar, and what, what was that? I wasn't regressing myself. I had someone uh, someone else did it for me. Okay, yeah. okay. But but, yeah. but we're, we're talking about you in a past life. Yes. Okay, okay. And it was you yeah. in a past life on another planet in another star system thousands of light years away. I don't know how far away exactly. Okay, well, um, far, I don't far, think so. long time ago in a galaxy so. far, far away. Okay, so, and then yeah. in that incarnation... You came here to Earth? Yes. To this solar yes. system? Okay. To this planet. Ah, okay. I've, I've been interested in this planet for a long time. We'll just put it that way. Well, it's a very interesting so, place, uh, you know, for a bunch of reasons, which I think absolutely. John is going to get into when we get into that uh, <laughs> um, you know, aspect. But, okay, so that's the setup. So do yeah. we, we want to play the tape of you being hypnotized and regressed when you sure. were a distant star explorer who came to Earth to Absolutely. to do what? To explore. Okay. And uh, as you'll hear, uh, we were a people that went to a lot of different places, and we were in an expansion mode. In this other we life. Went, yes, this other world that whatever, whoever these people were, whoever I was, yeah, we were just really out to explore and to expand and catalog and all of that. We were just very curious people. Okay, so let's run the tape. So, uh, yeah, you know, like in search of ancient astronauts, you know, Von Daniken and all that. Of course. We think of it as us and them, but it's really just us. It's all us. So people here are the ones who were, you know, those ancient astronauts. All right, so I'm going to play this, and you tell me how the sound is, if I may, need to make it louder or softer. Okay. And so this was a woman. Uh, we were brought together in this um, hypnosis institute that I belong to, and she wanted me to leave her name anonymous, but um, it was actually for another project. We were investigating spiritually about... Wait, wait, the, wait. I, now you totally confused me. I thought we were going to hear your tape as opposed to this other person's tape. The other person is interviewing me or... Uh, oh, see, all right. So, yeah. so this I'm person... The victim. So I'm the victim. Here, th this, so. Is, this is the therapist and you're the patient. Yes. Okay. All right. So, so, we, so we will hear two voices. Yes, uh, a woman's voice and my voice. Ah, yeah. ah, okay. Thank you. Let's see what happens here. Can you feel your feet on the ground? Yes, it's a hard yes. surface. Yes. And are you wearing anything on your feet in order that you can feel that it's a hard surface? Yes, I would say sort of boots. And can you go on? What other things might you be having in terms of a pillow on your body? I would say it's like a flight suit. 
It's like an airfield, but I don't think it's on the earth. It's, um, it's more like a starport. Well, can you tell me if it is uh, considered daytime or is it nighttime in this area where you are? It's daytime. Similar to Earth, where it's, uh, I think, a golden sun and there's whitish clouds. And sky, does it have any particular? I believe it's blue. It's very Earth-like, but I just feel it's not Earth. And as you look, look around, you, you mentioned that it was like an airfield or a starport. Yeah, there's a lot of activity. There's vehicles being towed around and people going here and there and different flights. Can you feel your feet on the ground? Yes, it's a hard yeah. yeah. A lot of activity. I'm sorry. There's vehicles being towed around and people going here and there and different flights. And, and so are you indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. Okay. And for what reason are you where you are? It's not commercial like a commercial airport. It's more like exploration. It's almost like an air force, but it's more like an exploration force or something like that. And are there many walking around? Yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, like maybe dozens okay. here and there. And are they walking singularly or in groups with others? It's a mix. Some are walking by themselves, some are in small groups. I think some of the crews are like maybe four or five people, six. And how about yourself? I, th I believe I have a crew of um, five or Maybe, let's see. I think it varies from four to six. But right now, this particular moment, at this particular time. I will say six. Six? Yeah, including me. And are you on your way towards or away from the ship? Towards. We're going to embark on a mission. And are you aware of what that mission is? Well, I believe we're going to explore a, another planet. And your position inside the ship, what are your responsibilities in um, there? I'm the commander. And so, so can you tell me a bit more about, about where you're heading? I, I believe we're going to be looking at Earth. So that's the end of uh, the first segment. I have four more like little three minute segments. But you, if any, I don't know how you want to, if you want to chat about this. Well, I think we ought to. <laughs> first of all, anybody have any reaction? I want to save a couple of questions till the end here. Uh, who wants to respond to this? This is very intriguing. Okay, I see so, a wow from Natalie. So Natalie gets <laughs> to the top of the cream. Come on, Natalie, say it in, in words. Well... Wow. So do you believe that you, that this was a separate life or do you think that you um, may have somehow just transported and um, maybe you're in, in two places, multiple places at, at once at one time, because since there is no space time, you're just, you're, 
you're still there and you're here. Well, that's a, a very interesting thought, and I kind of have to agree with you. Past lives, future lives, other lives. I mean, I don't know. How, what is time? What is space? Uh, you know, in a spiritual dimensions, I, I don't know what to call it, but um, on, you know, in my human earth calendar, it, I would call it past, but I would say it was a separate part uh, of me or a separate adventure that some other, you know, greater part of me of which uh, me now is one, you know, fragment or slice. It's another slice of me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Who else? Question. Well, Richard, I want to throw in something. Uh, when Scott was on a couple of weeks ago and I was on with him and he was talking about his girlfriend from the middle ages in france and oh the long lost love across time and space and whatever 700 years and you're like why is it so <laughs> so when i after the show and then i'm lying in bed and i'm just thinking of a better way to describe time from this perspective of the spirit world and it and it came to me i thought oh of course time uh three-dimensional time when you're looking at it from the spirit world it's streaming on demand. Okay. <laughs> so it's like accessing an archive, you mean? Yes. Hmm. Anybody else? Questions for Scott? I actually have a question that I've been wanting to ask Scott, particularly about Samhain or about this, this thinning veil experience, because I only have memory of one other planetary life. Um, but with multiple planetary lives, do you find or think that the type of thinning veil experience that we have here on Earth at Samhain and, again, to a lesser extent, in May, at the beginning of May, does that happen on other planets? Is that something that plays out in the soul home as well? Or is that just an, like a terrestrial experience? Well, that's a beautiful question and a beautiful thought. And I would have to think that Lots of phenomena happen everywhere in the universe. You know, I always wondered, like, you know, we have our solar system and our astrology and our religions, and I think other worlds must have their own. They have different solar system. They must have different myths and different astrology and, and different cosmic energies coming through. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, all over the universe, uh, there are different phenomena and different experiences that people are having hmm. well given that our work says that this solar system was radically redesigned for us <clears throat> at least for the last ones left and it was like an academy a school specifically designed my question would be and it's not the ones i was going to ask i'll ask those shortly um are other star systems equally uniquely designed because this the physics of each system depends on the planets, the masses, the spacing, the years, the configurations, the changing cyclic geometry, all of that. And ours is unique to this system, but were other systems designed? And did you in this other life come from an other designed system? You know, I don't know, but I would have to assume so, because isn't there a Star Trek thing, IDIC? Infinite diversity and infinite combinations, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was Rod, Rod so Rod's I, idea. I, 
Yeah, so I have to think that all over, you know, that everywhere is special. Just well, like there, there is also this very funny, you know, physicist joke. <clears throat> Nobody else gets it. You know, in the universe, that which is not forbidden is permitted, meaning that everything can happen at some point anywhere. But that's very unsatisfactory because it doesn't narrow things down. Um, so anybody else have any, any questions? I, I think it's like a fingerprint. Each solar system is a unique system. and Well, no they would be unique alike. regardless of uh, even if they weren't designed. But this one we can prove was designed, which makes me really wonder how many other systems where consciousness flourishes are there if this one had to be designed. Or was it kind of like architect's choice? Was this somebody's pet science project? You know, think think uh, 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 Trelane in one of the early Star Trek episodes. Remember Trelane? Yes. <laughs> um, one of my favorite episodes. Uh, okay, so uh, we only got about three minutes till uh, the top of the hour. So let, anyway, let me save my questions and we'll play another tape on the other side. Um, anybody have something quick they want to add before we in this segment? I'd just like to say, it's Maria here, um, that in, because uh, we're talking about Celts and, you know, uh, Samhain, the, the Tuatha de Danann, the, the start of the Celtic culture in Ireland, was said to have descended from the stars and started to interact with, uh, with the humans uh, on Earth. And eventually, uh, in the, the mythology, they went into all of the mounds and became one with the Earth. So I think, you know, celestial beings have been interacting with the Earth, teaching us, and became a part of the Earth if we're to look at um, the strong mythologies of the Celts. Hmm. Do we have any idea of dates, Maria, for, for Celt uh, culture, Celtic culture? The, the Celtic uh, culture was descended from the Bronze Age, and it began in the uh, Iron Age, strictly speaking, around about 750 BC. But it has a long, long lineage before that, going way back. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking the of, is, is, is the length of the lineage, because are we, are we talking thousands of years or tens of thousands? I think tens of thousands, because if you look to the uh, earlier alignments at Stonehenge that aren't stone and they were timber, uh, massive poles, uh, they were aligned to the equinox, one of the uh, quarter days, for example. And that goes back to, you know, 10,000 BC. It's been a part of our culture, you know, the, the looking at the sun, the, the wheel of the year since the dawn of time. Wow. You're on the other side of midnight. This is our hyperdimensional Halloween celebration on the night of Soane. Now it is All Souls Day in the, uh, or is it All Saints Day or All Souls Day? I always get those you know, mixed up. November 1st, November 2nd. The church took over everything. So, of course, they tried to rebrand, you know, rebranding, rebranding. It's all about the branding. Anyway, you are on the other side of midnight, my guests to numerous dimension, but experts all with interesting tales to tell and personal experiences to recount. It is now Sunday night, Monday morning here in the land of enchantment. We shall return.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, Monday morning now. October 31st has faded into the darkness, and November 1st is amongst us. And again, I can't remember whether this is traditionally All Souls Day or All Saints Day. I think it's All Saints Day, but someone can check. We have something called Google. My guests this morning are Georgia and Ron and Aaron and Natalie and John and Scott and Keith and um, I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. Their backgrounds are all on the website, so you can go and check. But they are all experts in the ineffable, not paranormal, the ineffable. I think we could try to, you know, get a branding thing going here with that. And what I want to do is I want to switch back to uh, uh, Scott's tape, his regression. Because the question I have, Scott, and I will bring you up here. First of all, um were you an eight-legged, tentacled octopus embarking on an interstellar expedition, or were you human or humanoid in that personification? Very humanoid. And ah. uh, as you'll uh, hear in the next uh, segment or two, um, uh, very similar to an, a modern Earth person. Which, of course, goes along with my you know, extended family model um, and some of the data that we've been able to put together that DNA is not random. Uh, our current science completely un- misunderstands the, the idea of DNA. I mean, when I, when I saw them grind the first, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 crinoid into dust with the uh, Spirit rover on one of the JPL unmanned missions, I had this stunning idea that maybe, you know, body types and genomes and families and and species and all that replicate over and over and over again wherever there is an appropriate environment because there are templates, hyperdimensional templates that come through that imprint on the molecular fabric of our 3D, you know, organic reality. And so you get the same genetics again and again and again just flowering in a different 
or slightly different environment. So do you know whether you were really, really human, meaning you could have made it with any gorgeous earth girls that you encountered on your expedition, or were you humanoid, meaning a distant cousin as opposed to a more direct relative? Well, with those earth girls, I certainly would have tried, but there, <laughs> there weren't any around yet. Um, this is before earth girls uh, uh, evolved. But I would say... Wait, 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 wait. Don't, 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 don't. Wait a minute. That's a huge important datum. Do you know when you came to look at ancient earth? Uh, yes. And, it, and you'll hear that in the next... Ah, uh, okay. So let's, let's segue... It's a perfect segue. Let's play the next tape with bated breath and hear what the answer to that question might be. Okay, but before we do that, I just want to toss out there. I have regressed people that do have different body types and other worlds. So there's a lot of people, like there's a lot of water worlds out there, dolphinish or mermaid type mm. people. There are creatures uh, that float in the air, almost like uh, jellyfish of the skies. There are lots of different types of bodies, so there's not, it's not just one template. But if you look at the incredible profusion of life on Earth, I mean, you can see just here, it's, if you ever watch nature shows, I mean, it's just amazing, right? Starting with Disney, the wonderful world of Disney. Remember that? Right. Oh, yeah. So they used to take close-ups of rattlesnakes in the middle of nowhere in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> that was great. Yep. All right. So here we come. This is like two minutes. Okay. Okay. Ready? Okay. Thank Fastening you. my seatbelt. And the five others will be traveling from this spaceport to Earth. Is that correct? Yes. There may be stops along the way, like at stations. Have you made this journey earlier in the lifetime? Uh, I believe I have. I'd like you to go inside your ship and describe it to me as the other five are taking their proper positions. Can you tell me what it's like on the inside? It seems shaped almost like an Earth-type uh, jet, like a large jet, pointy, you know, and it has wings. So I'm surprised at that, but uh, that's what it seems like. And... So there are seats and different stations where people uh, can be. I think there may be uh, a level for uh, people to be, a level for machinery to be, a level for cargo to be, something like that. The purpose of this exploration of another planet? Well, it's to gather information. Okay. Samples and... uh, to gather visual, like, uh, what would you call it, like intel or uh, just getting information. Because I think we want to utilize this planet, maybe even colonize it or utilize it. But we have lots of ships going to lots of places. It's a big operation. But the purpose behind the desire to colonize as opposed to go and visit out of a curiosity. Is your planet healthy? Well, we, yeah, we're, we're awesome. But we do colonize other places just because we're expanding. We're expanding our knowledge. We're extending our presence. That's it. 
for that mm. one. Uh, anybody reaction? God, you're all so shy. I just want to hear more. <laughs> okay, that's the drug reaction. <clears throat> okay, I have another question. Tone Scott is so conversational, and I've been in hypnotic regression sessions that sounded much more trance-like and almost robotic. So there was a, there wasn't as much of an emotional lilt. It's it's incredibly conversational, and obviously all the skeptics out there are saying, ah, he's just making this stuff up. He's written it down. It's a it's it's just a script. How do you answer the conversational? aspect of this well people can say whatever they want and that's fine with me but but, um, but it's not people asking you the question it's me (laughs) well yeah um i knew you were going to set going to ask this it's funny i was thinking about it today because uh i don't know i just uh, you know people have an idea about hypnosis the h word you know it's almost like a uh, a millstone around my neck. People are expecting you're going to be talking like from the grave or whatever. Um, there's a huge spectrum of experiences that my clients have. Some do go super deep and I can, I can barely even get them to talk and I have to lift them out a bit just so I can get verbal with them. Um, and then, you know, like the bell curve of science, some people have kind of a medium experience me i just don't tend to go super deep i'm a very light subject i don't need to i don't feel real different or anything it just it opens a window for me like at another time another place i guess what i'm trying to put my finger on is it's like you're reporting as opposed to experiencing i'd like to chime in natalie go ahead thank you could it be that in these different states of consciousness, whether, you know, we're in beta, alpha, theta, or delta, and our brain waves are different, uh, all of us are different. And especially if your, your spirit makeup affects that in any way, could it be that, 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 that state of consciousness could be a little bit more uh, different where it doesn't require where most of us would really need to get down closer into that, that theta, theta, delta, that, that maybe Scott is able to get to that, that place and still be a little bit more in the, uh, in the, in the alpha theta. I wouldn't say that I was special or anything. I think (laughs) with most people, these, these other lives and other soul memories, they're just below the surface. You just need to basically tickle someone and they, they come right out. It's not that hard. Um, it's not that difficult of, of a thing. It doesn't, I mean, I don't know. It comes very naturally to me. I've had, I walk down the street and have spontaneous memories. So maybe it's a little more on the surface. Well, how many, how many regressions, you know, I think, I think Natalie's onto something. You're an old hand at this and I'm using that as a very extended pun. Um, if you're really immersed in this universe, in this reality, for you, which would be very easy, would be more difficult and stilted and more, uh, shall we say, cliched when someone else was undergoing. In other words, 
if we were all together in the same room and this therapist had regressed you, one of the things as a scientist I would say is, okay, stick a pen in him and see if he's done. And that would gauge whether you are actually were under and not, you know, if you'd been given the post-hypnotic, you know, do not feel the pain, that kind of thing. So there was a setup. But in other words, to me, this is so accessible. I'm wondering why you cannot do it yourself on command now. Well, like I said, I do have some spontaneous memories, and lots of people do. Lots of my clients do. Lots of people walking around. If you start talking to people about stuff, all the stuff that uh, your guests are into, you know, uh, everyone has stories about all this stuff. Yeah, I saw a ghost. Yeah, I had a past life memory. Yeah, I had a weird dream. I mean, it's just, it's not that rare. It's just that uh, maybe heretofore people haven't talked about it that much. But uh, getting into the hypno thing, um, we are incredibly complex creatures. We, we are souls and we merge or marry into a body when we incarnate. And so the soul and the body, they each have their own individuality. And so it's always a, a new combination. But, yeah, um, I understand uh, it doesn't seem uh, I'm really tranced out. Or, you know, drugged out or whatever. But, yeah, I've just, maybe because I've done it a lot, it takes me about... Well, you understand now. there are people out there who are saying, Hoagland, you're nuts to have a show like this tonight. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving them any more weight than people that are hanging on every word. I'm, remember, I'm a curious person. That's my whole persona. I like to know things. And as opposed to believe things, I want to know things. You know, since well, Robin... Richard, go ahead. I was going to mention that, um, you know, I had this bad car accident in 2018 and I was really out of it for a year and a half and I was, I was in suicidal pain and I was ready to end it, you know? So, um, fortunately this chiropractor came, came along, but a couple of months later I'm doing this healing session and it's very much like what Scott does. They hypnotize you. And, um, so, I'm, it's on um, my uh, Mind World Entertainment website, uh, so we recorded it, and um, I'm not really that tranced out, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm deep under, and I'm, I've been going out for a long time, so for me, it was more like remote viewing, where I'm not, you know, taking everything with me and going somewhere, and I, it was, I, I'm there, and I'm, I'm, here in my chair to describe it to the woman who is is uh, regressing me so um and it was very profound i found myself floating above the earth i'm in earth orbit i'm in a um what what's that called when you're uh, meditating and you cross your legs and you're sitting there you're cross-legged the, the lotus position lotus. lotus position yes so and then <clears throat> I look down uh, through the clouds at the earth and there's two humanoid beings flying up through the clouds, you know, kind of like Superman, let's say they're, they're coming up. And I had a, just a split second of, you know, my shields went up because I don't know, you know, I, I work with some, there's some nasty beings out there. (laughs) So my shields go up for a second and then I realize these are friends, so they, they come up, and 
they sit on each side, one on each side of me, and it feels like, I don't know, I think of the Beatles, like if they got back together, it mm. would be like yesterday, you know, that they were just jamming and, okay, guys, let's play. It was like that. The feeling was familiarity, and they're, I've known these people for an eternity, and after the session, the woman tells me that she called on St. Germain and Odama, which are two ascended masters, to come help me. So it was very cool. Mm. We were sitting there looking down at the earth, and it was so peaceful. I, she came to bring me out of it, and I did not want to – I didn't want it to end. It was so awesome. So, Just to round yeah. out the picture, so you're sitting there in Earth orbit without a spacecraft or a spacesuit, cross-legged, just kind of floating, right? Correct. And these guys fly up like Superman or Supergirl, and they kind of on both sides of you, and they're, they were sent to assist in what you were trying to get to the bottom of. Yeah, and I was floating uh, off the coast of, I would say, California. I'm looking down at the United States as my focus. Mm. And it has something to do with this 2012 thing we're into. And she told me that these two ascended masters are from Lemuria, which is this, I, you know, I'd never heard of it, but. Pre-Atlantis Pacific ancient, ancient culture. Yes. Okay. All right, Scott. Next sure. tape, please. This is getting very intriguing. Can you tell me what your surroundings are? Yeah, I believe I'm on the earth and um, living in a home kind of on the side of uh, or on, a, on top of a cliff and I have a family one has come to earth and we're um, living there and also uh, continuing to explore it when you were exploring it at the age of 42 did you leave the planet and return or had you stayed there since then no I've, I've been back and forth several times Oh, I really like this place. It's really amazing. And have you explored much outside of this cave where you're living? Yeah, it's not a cave. It's on top of a cliff. Oh. But, okay. yeah, we have, uh, and like, a little personal, uh, like, airship. And we go out, uh, you know, like, on reconnaissance and just exploring. So we fly over you know, waterfalls and oceans and deserts and everything. And, and tell me about the um, other beings, if there are other beings that are on this planet. Is there any indication of uh, civilization or advancement? Um, no, I don't believe humans have evolved yet. This is a pre, uh, definitely pre-human. I'm trying to figure out if it's in the age of reptiles or the age of giant mammals. <laughs> I think it's a little earlier, more like still reptiles. But I think it's uh, it's ha it's converting. It's it's changing from reptiles sort of to mammals, some somewhere in there that changeover. But they're not humanoids uh, yet. They're not. I don't think we think there's any apes yet. If you were to um, take a look at the way the uh, land masses are on the planet Earth, which area is your cliff? 
I would say it's somewhere kind of in the Indian Ocean between between Africa and India and Australia. It could be Madagascar or somewhere like that. And the configuration then of the land masses. Can you describe it for me? Is it like similar to? I think the land masses are different. Um, they yeah. squish together in a different way at this time. And it may be on the edge of Africa. I mean, it doesn't feel like the Africa we know now. It's more of a tropical paradise uh, type of a place, uh, exotic plants. And it seems tropical or like semi, let's say semi-tropical. And in terms of um, equalities of the physical environment, they are compatible for breathing or what you need? Yes. In fact, it feels like there's an abundance of oxygen. It's very fresh air and very invigorating. And I feel like our bodies are uh, pretty similar to Earth bodies. And it's very healthy and very beautiful. That's it for that one. Hmm. So you're estimating pre... Uh, you said dinosaurs grading. Dinosaurs didn't grade into anything. There was a shattering catastrophe, you know, the, the asteroid impact, and then they were supplanted by mammals. So this must, this would have had to have been prior to the catastrophe. Well, I don't think the. I mean, I'm not a paleontologist, but I don't think the dinosaurs all died off in one day. So there might have been thousands or hundreds of thousands of years where. They were going down, and the little tiny, tiny shrew-like mammals were coming up. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a pretty interesting set of evidence that says it happened very quickly. It was not an extended period because the uh, the boundary layers are very clear. Below, you have a d- incredible diversity. Above, you have nothing. So it's uh, uh, nothing really survived. It was it was like in a night, in a day, and there's all kinds of evidence geological evidence for that so the transition was not gradual i mean there was this argument for many many years and the newest evidence says that it was very abrupt you know even on a geological time scale yeah who's this this is aaron hi there Um, hi at the same time some of the dinosaurs did survive and they evolved into different life forms so it might well have been a time when they were still evolving into or you know, just past that event and the mammals were just starting and the, uh, some sort of dinosaurs would have still been around. Mm, okay, well, tonight's not the night to go into the details, but as I understand the latest science, it was pretty dramatic. And I'm trying to get the paleontologists who actually found um, the evidence of the stunning severity and, 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 and incredibly short period of time. Um, and he's been kind of shall we say, ostracized by the rest of the community? Anyway, um, see, uh, do we have one more? Uh, yes, I have two more. Oh, okay. Well, let's play one now, and then we'll hold okay. the other one until the other side of the break. Okay. Here we go. This is fascinating. And Thank you. Is there a time in this man's life, another age, that would be important for you to take a look at? Older, younger? Just a few years older. 
I believe, like 72, I believe I'm called back to the home planet and need to report uh, about the Earth. And it's a big, um, like a board meeting, you could say. That's pretty important. Can you share with me how that meeting goes? Yeah, I think they're trying to decide, you know, if they're going to put a lot of resources and people and stuff into this, you know, Earth planet. Because they have other, lots of other things going on. So they have to figure out their allocations. But uh, I was telling them, you know, this place is wondrous. And it held so much possibility. And I'm just highly recommending that they throw resources and a lot of uh, people towards this place. And so do you stay with this board meeting through the entirety, or do you leave when you're done with your report? No, we sit and uh, discuss it like, you know, like equals. And I, I believe that they do decide to go ahead and um, allocate a certain amount of resources towards the earth and developing uh, more studies and we may even have scientists coming to start to seed the earth with certain things and modify it. And in terms of discussing this at the board meeting, is there discussion on whether or not you will be one of those to return? Oh, I'm going to go back. My family's there. So anyway, so. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. not really a question. My home, okay. I basically made my home there and I'm content to okay. uh, live out my life there and study the place. Okay. And is there more that you need to... Um... Although, uh, excuse me, although sometimes there are other missions that come up when I'm called and I, I will go for certain, you know, maybe a month or two months uh, or three months to some other mission, to some other place. So sometimes I'm on call and I have to go other places. That's the end of that one. Hmm. Questions, questions, questions. Anybody else? Have... Yes, please. Go ahead. This is Natalie. Uh, Scott, just a couple of questions. The, the first one is, have you, have you um, experienced time loss from time to time, and then also, uh, do you have have you fully come to understand why you chose this specific uh, third dimensional time to to come to, to Earth as a part of your soul mission, and what that would be? Uh, as to the latter part, yes, uh, I know why I'm here now. Um, as to the time loss, I don't know what that refers to exactly. Uh, lost time, like uh, in, in consciousness where you, you, you have lost time, like either on a, a day, uh, like one day or... You mean like missing time, the Hopkins yes. missing time? Okay. Yes. No, I have nothing like that. I have a very clear memory of, uh, you know, back to the womb and before, and so... I mean, not necessarily conscious memory, but no, I don't have anything like that. I have a pretty um, 
firm grasp of time in this round of existence. That's incredible. You have you come to understand and know what your your purpose and why you came in a body this uh, uh, during this specific era. Sure, sure. There's lots of mm-hmm. stuff. There's, uh, like we all have many um, mm-hmm. reasons for incarnating. Um, one of them was, it's funny, but I never thought of this before, but was to be around uh, during the space age. So mm-hmm. I was a little kid when we landed on the moon, and it's just, it's very exciting something for my soul. It's like, wow, Earth is actually reaching out to another world. So that's kind of ironic. Um, that's one of the reasons, uh, lots of other reasons to do with, uh, um, the shift of consciousness on this planet, the opportunity. Uh, I think I spoke last time that, um, earth is looked at sort of as the Las Vegas of the universe, uh, <laughs> right now. It's like, I'll tell you what, hold like, it there, Mr. Las Vegas. Big... Hang on. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hogan. We're having a hyperdimensional Halloween. Let's see if you recognize this one. We shall return. midnight.com Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 cents an episode, $0.02.5 cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. You 
And welcome back, everyone. Last half hour to go on this Sunday night, Halloween, Monday morning, All Saints Day, All Souls Day. Eh, no one sent me an email yet to tell me which is which. Anyway, Michael Jackson there in the background. Uh, I only get to play these, you know, like once a year. So we're having a lot of fun and we're learning some very interesting things. You know, to me, Scott, these are very illustrative because... It's so hard to pin down time in these regressions. Have you have you tried to refine a technique to kind of hone in on when a past life, particularly an otherworldly past life, actually intersects with with this planet, this this place, this system? No, my technique is very simple. I'll go and talk to a person's spirit guides and just ask them. And how does that relate to Earth time? And sometimes they'll say, well, it was 600 million years ago in your time. Or sometimes they'll say time doesn't apply in the way you understand stuff like that. So, hmm. so I just, I just, you know, I talk to the smart people about it and see what they have to say. Have you ever, when you're regressed, has anyone ever tried to have you sketch things? Like when, when the therapist was asking you about the shape of continents, if you could have sketched the earth and, you know, compared that map to, you know, the pretty solid reconstructions that we have of what things used to look like and what times, uh, it just seems to me that would be one way. The other way would be if you could, you know, draw plants and we could then identify the taxonomy of when certain plants or insects or whatever level of life that you were seeing. I mean, it sounds to me like there was a lot of uh, luscious, you know, lush bio biosphere activity, but again, you know, the time frame would be very useful. I understand. Uh, that makes uh, it be fun. I had. Uh, I'm not particularly artistic, uh, visually artistic. Yeah, but if you're uh, told in a hypnotic trance, you're the perfect artist. You can re- reconstruct anything exactly. Wouldn't you be able to do that? No, you can't tell someone they're the perfect artist, but sure, I could sketch something out, like continent shape. Hmm. That would be fun. I've had plenty of clients do stuff like that. Uh, They might see a symbol that some spiritual being is wearing around their neck or something like that. We'll have them sketch that so they can remember it. So it's it's a good technique. I like it. As far as the taxonomy of plants, and, and really what it comes down to, Richard, for me, is like proving that this was real. I don't really have a need to do that myself. Uh, I know that some people do, and they're really into that. And if you can't prove it, like, immediately on the Internet, they're just going to toss it out, and that's fine. But to me, what really matters is the emotions, the experiences, because that's really what you take with you. That's why they come to see me. There's an issue, there's a challenge, there's some kind of a problem. And so, and that can go back like a pattern, you know, back, 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 back. And so that's really what it's all about for me. When you were living in this. On this, though, if if I could just jump in, this is Aaron. I'm with Richard on this. This would be a fascinating experiment and it would give so much more information and and if it worked out, it, validity to the experience that would bring in a whole, you know, open up a whole new realm of possibility for a lot of people who are sitting there on the fence or, or just on the skeptical side because there isn't any, any proof of any of that. 
I'd love to see what came up from that. Well, I'm totally open to it. See, what was I going to ask? Um, oh, I know. You're living in this interesting house, kind of like on the cliff, like I am here, uh, <laughs> with a gorgeous uh, you know, New Mexico desert and this 12,000-foot-high mountain in my front yard. And you're living and you've got a family, and then you commute back and forth. That, of course, <clears throat> you know, we're into Warp 9 territory. And so is there a community, or are you like a family playing Swiss Family Robinson in the middle of a deserted planet that has yet to harbor consciousness as we would understand it? And that will be answered in the final segment. But um, Oh, how pressing it is. Like, uh, yeah, you're very – the veil is thin. <laughs> well, tonight anyway. <laughs> um, we are a little bit like Swiss Family Robinson, and we are a little bit like um, outliers, you know, uh, outposts. But there are others. We're not alone there. There are, like we said – I think I said there were scientists. There are other people studying this place. So it's not a large community. It's a small community, but people are coming and going. But they're not all in the same place, like you're scattered around the around the planet? Um, I don't know. I, she didn't ask, and I, I can't... Oh, that was that. my other question before we get to the last tape. When you do these sessions, do you plan out the questions? Do you collaborate on what you'd like to know so she has a script so that there's a logical A, B, C continuity so we fill in, or you fill in these gaps. On this one, we did not because we were looking at the COVID situation. Actually, uh, that's for another show. But um, uh, clients will bring in questions about their current life. Usually, you know, why do I have a problem with relationships? Why do I have a, a problem with money? Or, or what is uh, the number one question? Is like, what? Why am I here? What is my purpose? So. I will have them give me some questions, some big questions like that. But no, we don't plan out all the little questions that pop up. That's sort of the art of hypnotherapy is, is that you get to be creative and ask questions as they arise. Hmm. Okay, we don't have a lot of time. It's amazing how time flies. On the other side of midnight, so let's hear the last tape and then um, uh, we'll go from there. Okay, this one's a little longer. It's about five minutes and it does include the... In the spirit of Halloween, the death. Oh, okay. Is there anything going around outside of you or within you that is uh, indicative that this is going to be the last thing? Your physical death? Yes. Yes? Yes, there is. Often we can choose uh, to leave. When it's time to leave, we can choose to leave our bodies. Right. So this one's become very, very old, and uh, I feel like my work is done. So I'm basically choosing to leave, and that's sort of like a farewell ceremony. It's like a funeral, but you're not dead yet. Okay. It's kind of cool. You actually get to enjoy it. You know how we call celebration of life? Well, we get to do this while we're still alive. And then we... We leave. We go to maybe like a chamber or something, and we just uh, lay down and we leave. All right. So as you're at the celebration of life, I'd like you to pause for just one moment and gather the experiences and the memories. 
as you can in this life. I'd like to ask again, what will you call? What is your personal name? And I know you can anglicize it for me. You know, like we have Arthur. This is sort of like A R T O R, like Artor, something like that. I I get that Arthur, right? Very nice. And so Arthur, if this is the last day, and you're looking around, and those that are at your farewell celebration, who are the important people that are there here with you? My family is there, and there's other colleagues and maybe people who have uh, come uh, to stay on the earth and study it, almost like neighbors and friends and colleagues, and maybe a few people from the like Space Force, and uh, so maybe 20, 30 people, not a huge gathering. And so as you determine it's time to disengage from this gathering. Where do you find yourself now as you disengage from gathering before you have expired your last breath? Can you describe the surroundings? Yeah, I think there's a chamber where you can go. You can call it a death, death chamber. <laughs> yes. yes. And uh, yes. somewhere you just go and you lie down and it's kind of a firm surface and then you just leave and then maybe it will it will do something to your body like you know in a way to dispose of it i don't think it's actual fire but it's it reduces it to you know what we would call ashes or whatever it reduces it to its constituent chemicals or whatever it, it takes all the water out and then reduces it and then they can put that in an urn or they could scatter it just like we do with cremation but it doesn't use actual flames it's more high tech yeah and so as you allow yourself to leave that physical shell that held the archer and hover for just a moment and reflect back on the life that archer led what did you learn in your life as a It wasn't so much learning, but it was more of exploring and enjoying. <laughs> and helping my people to expand and expanding our knowledge base. Okay. It was very enjoyable. And so as you allow the separation between your spiritual self and that physical body. As you continue moving away, I'd like you to describe that journey. Is it a fast journey or slow? It's it's pretty instant. It's no real gateway. I'm just going to a place where a gentleman is waiting, waiting for me. Okay. Can you share with me what you've experienced in that? And this gentleman is waiting for you. Yeah, we're just, <laughs> yes. We've just been waiting. And um, so, yeah, there's a very um, august uh, gentleman waiting sort of at a table in a sort of like a library or a room. And we're going to talk about some things. That's it. 
Mm. Talk about some things, and then the tape ends. That's right. That's not fair, Scott. <laughs> what things? <laughs> we have to leave some cliffhanging for next time. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I guess you're going to come back. Hey, okay, anybody else re- reacting? Because I've got some more questions. They're all so shy. <laughs> I have I have something that I would like to say about why maybe it's not necessary to talk about. This is Aaron, by the way. Why it's not necessary to talk about or to talk in a very trancy voice or to go really, really deep. If if that's all right, do you want to go there? No, no, fine, fine, yeah. <laughs> so from my own experience, I it seems to be a matter of openness to the experience as well as practice. Because I know when I started, um, and I wasn't very open, I was very material-based when I started, and it was very difficult to me. I, You know, the first time I ever had a real experience like that, I was in a 10-day silent meditation retreat before, you know, for something to happen. But as the years go by and I've done this more and more, the openness has increased and with the practice, it's now really easy. I can just essentially just set an intention to connect with this other lifetime, for instance, that I remember on another planet. And it, it just comes to me. I can communicate with the beings there. I can experience more of what it's like there. So yeah, I think it's a lot, it's, different for different people but with practice and an open mind you don't have to go as deep especially as the as the whole veil is getting thin for the planet not just now at Samhain but as we're moving into this new age the the veil is really just dissolving well the the, the, the the frequency and bandwidth is increasing it's not a veil mm-hmm. it's uh, it's all about yeah. matching frequencies Yes, I agree. We're becoming more we're more of a match on an energetic level, mm-hmm. reaching a, a higher vibrational frequency is how I see it. Less material and more energetic or spiritual. Hmm. Anybody else? And then I want to tell a little story. Okay, you're all being quiet. Okay, so <laughs> let me tell the story. As you know, since Robin died, I've been really, you know, asked over tea kettle and I've been marshalling, organizing, you know, information in some kind of coherent fashion. Um, A, she communicates or she communicated uh, within the first six months in different ways after she died. After the winter solstice in 2019, there was no further direct communication. It was like you cut it off with a knife. But... I'm in the desert and I have a leaky house and I have mice and someone is using the mice to communicate and they've been doing geometry. They've been storing candy corn uh, at times, which was nowhere near Halloween, which was one of our things, you know, together she would find me candy corn and other times of the year than around Halloween. And I love candy corn. So um, the mice started doing, building little temples out of candy corn and assembling mm-hmm. it in plastic thingies up on uh, boxes in the library above the live trap where I would try to catch them and then take them out and let them go a thousand feet away and rearranging things on the floor of a very large Russian-style pyramid where I've been doing experiments on the physics, enhancing the background and seeing 
what would happen to plants and to crystal growth and to clocks and that kind of thing. Well, they would rearrange on the floor of the pyramid, which is the carpet, you know, the treatise in the form of geometry. And they also do it in the hallway uh, between the one hall and the bedroom where uh, the picture six days after she died, uh, a picture of her appeared in an aura that was taken on a ship eight years before. I know exactly where and when, what we were doing and all that. And it was kind of emblematic of her, you know, persona owners and that incarnation as a, as a healer. Well, of late, the mice have been getting more loquacious. And up until this evening, literally just before this show, on the night of Halloween, um, I've got three different species that come and go. One, the common house mouse. Two, a desert mouse, which has very large ears. I call them dumbos. And three, a rare species protected by the, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, Endangered Species Act, call a kangaroo mouse, which mm-hmm. normally lives near water. And I'm nowhere near water, but they're here. And they have these very long legs. And that was the species that jumped one night, literally turning a cartwheel over the candy dish with the candy corn in it to try to tell me, you know, dummy, look at this. This is where they're getting the candy corn. So um, a, a couple of times, three times in the last year or so, these mice, which run like hell when you, when you see them, you know, they're, they, they, they literally can exceed warp factor four. <laughs> and they dust under furniture and behind, you know, in other words, they are not bold creatures. Occasionally, one of them will get very bold and very different. So one evening, one literally crawled up on the hassock in front of the couch and went to sleep on my ankle. Just went to sleep on the ankle, and I used my other foot to kind of pet it, and it didn't move. It just sat there until it got up and went away. Two and three nights ago, because of this this murder here in um, in um, uh, New Mexico, you know, I was really missing Robin terribly, and you know, tragic own life, that kind of thing. And I'm I'm really wanting, you know, where the hell are you? Why aren't you here? This little mouse literally crawls up onto the couch and into my lap. And then another little one, same species, I think it were mother and baby, gets up on the other side of the couch and is kind of looking around and, you know, playing very hard to get. But, I mean, these creatures are so if, – if I raise an eyebrow, they disappear. Like, you know, talk about ghosts. They're, Did you film it? I don't have a camera. Keith has my camera, and it's been months, <laughs> and I haven't been able to get the damn camera back. So, yes, I'm going to obviously try to film this stuff because no one's going to believe me just saying it. Well, tonight I'm getting ready for the show. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm looking at some NASA stuff, seeing if I want to mix that in with what we're going to do tonight. And the other species that has never been friendly never been convivial never literally you know i'm missing robin horribly this other larger species crawls up on the hassock gets up on the couch come doesn't get in my lap but comes right next to my lap and looks at me and then goes away to the other side of the couch and then goes down and disappears 
Huh. And wow. that and this is close association of two separate species is separated by two days. So my model is that communication between this other dimension where we hang out and this dimension where we are now is not constant. It's modulated like all the rest of the physics. There are times when you can communicate and times when you can't communicate. And it comes and goes depending upon the phasings, the aspects, if you want to use astrological terms, because they're part of the driver of the solar system for opening these gateways and then closing them. And I started thinking that for two days, the same guys that literally two days ago crawled up and sat in my lap, they won't come near me and they run like hell when they see me anywhere in the house. Tonight, a different species. Tonight, Halloween, Samhain literally got up next to me and this is reinforcing my model that she because who else would give a damn is using these little guys and gals as transducers and responding to my obvious depression that she's not here and they're trying to provide some kind of comfort but they have this incredible conflicted sense there is their personas, which is run like hell, and then there's this overlay of control, which is very incomplete, and it doesn't take much to break the spell, and so there's this war going on within these little creatures as to fear or flight, attraction or repulsion, and it's, it's, cycle, it's modulated, it's not, and tonight of all nights, it reaffirmed the model in this totally different species that I call the desert mouse with the dark brown back and the light tan and they look so cute. You know, it came and literally got up on the couch next to me, looked at me and then went away. Have you named the mice? Of course not. (laughs) Because they're not them. They're being used by something else and the something else, the someone else I think is Robin, who, by the way, when she was here, hated mice, was terrified of mice. And yet she bought, as I described to Kinthea, you know, in times past, she bought me this, or bought us, this big thing you put on the back of the toilet tank to put a roll of toilet paper in that, you know, in case you're you're in the middle of nowhere and you run out and there's no way to get any, kind of the emergency supply. That cover, that, that shroud that covers the the spare toilet paper on the back of the tank is in the form of a huge mouse with a beautiful skirt and wearing a, a, a toilet paper, you know, a- amulet on one arm with two beady eyes and whiskers and a hat. And, and she hated mice. And yet she left that. So at this time, I look at that and I, that's not the only thing she left. that was like she had a premonition of the future. So she left these markers in time, you know, paying it forward. And I know this is all going to sound to people like, oh, come on, he's gone off the deep end. He's really all there by himself, and he's just, he's just lost it. No, I'm keeping a journal of all this stuff because it's, there's, a, there's a gestalt, there's a continuity, there's a context, there is a significant meaning to all these separate events, and they all tie together with someone who really gives a damn, is trying to communicate and cannot do it every other Thursday. It can only be done in certain hyperdimensional windows, like tonight. 
That's a fabulous story. We could do a whole show on the symbols and signs and how they communicate. Yep. Okay, we've got three minutes till the end. Anybody have some immortal last words before we all get together again? Because you know, we got to all get together again, right? <laughs> well, I think it's very interesting that you know, Mother Earth is really a focal point for many different types of beings. And as we know, you know, in this multiverse, there are many different types of beings and creatures, but yet we all seem to have one common, uh, unique characteristic that ties us together. And I think that's what's so beautiful in trying to under, understand and, and uh, fuse that together. And, you know, about a year ago, I had a really interesting experience. I had a, uh, and I'll make this this pretty quick, but I had someone contact me because at the time I was a COO of UFO Hunters of America, which is a nonprofit organization. And, you know, he reached out to me in, in confidentiality, but it was basically there was a crash site up in Washington and there was these uh, unicorn human type beings that um that and and uh, a lot of them were like teenagers and children who were who had sur- survived but they had lost some of their family members and they said that, um that they that they had a, a replica of what you would consider earth on the other side of the sun which is where they came from so it's all very interesting for sure mm. guys i hate to say this but we've run out of runway we're going to have to just kind of pick this up next time and do it again. I want to thank my guests this morning, uh, Georgia Lambert and uh, Natalie. I'm not going to remember everyone's last name. You can go to the website and take a look. And John and Scott and Aaron, Keith, and who am I missing? Georgia. Okay. Um, until next week, next Saturday and Sunday, um, I want to wish everyone well. Pay attention closely to the news. Everything that's going on is part of this incredible, changing, dramatically affected, and choiceful future we are being presented with. So until next time, next Bat Channel, next time next week, remember, third star on the left, straight until morning. Good night, everyone.